This is the Overdue Homework Podcast. Welcome to the show. That's Trav. I'm Drew. And I'm Trav. And this is the Overdue Homework Podcast. As always, we are here to talk about 80s and 90s media. You can contact us at overduehomeworkpodcast at gmail.com with anything you want to talk about, period. Anything. Anything. Period. Whatever. I don't care. <laughs> How you doing, Trav? Well, worse than normal, Drew, because oh. we didn't do it on my day oh, off this time. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Drew's, Drew's got a child or two <laughs> children and responsibilities so we're doing it on a thursday but i'm sorry i'm no, sorry i'm sorry no I, i'm doing really good, good. Uh, it actually kind of gave me something to look forward to today and it was super slow so well that's good uh, but how about you um i've been better i'm not gonna lie uh, my cat of 18 years died yes um poor sunny buddy um buddy. I miss that cat a lot already, yeah. and it wasn't like he, like, I found him dead. We had to go have him euthanized. Sure. Boy, oh boy, man. That yeah. is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life, Dude, honest to God. Losing pets in general is just super rough. Yeah. Like, had dogs my whole life growing up, and every time it was just like, my dad said at this point, when he loses his cat, he's like, I'm not getting another animal because I can't handle it. Like, he can't handle the loss this old anymore. Like I didn't think it was going to be, like, I knew I was probably going to get choked up over it, you know, and mm-hmm. I was probably going to be unhappy in the little office. The, oh, my God, dude, the death room that they have you go into, it's like a, it has Ugh. its own entrance and stuff. And yeah. And, like, there's, like, when I got in there, there was, like, soft music playing and stuff. And Ugh. I was like, oh, my God, are you kidding? Yeah. And I'm not going to lie, I was blubbering like a little baby. Yeah. I didn't think that it was going to be that big of a deal. Like, I thought, you know, I thought it was going to be sad and stuff. But right. Oh, I, like, almost hyperventilated. Yeah, like, it was rough. it yeah. was intense and in how much, like, I thought about how I found Sonny outside. Right. You know? Found him. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, he's my cat. And 18 years later, I'm holding on to him as the veterinarian is pumping him full of drugs to kill him. Right. It's like... What? Yeah. Like what? Eighteen years. Eighteen years, man. You got eighteen years. Eighteen so years out of awesome. a cat. Yeah. I love that cat. So, Sunny Buddy, this one's for you. This one's for you, Sunny Buddy. <laughs> I'm gonna miss him forever. But there's already instances where. So he was really struggling at the end of his life here. Yeah. Like he was not paying attention to like where he would be walking. So you're stepping on him all the time. He was pooping outside of his litter box, peeing outside of his litter box, yeah. all this stuff like all over the house and. So I don't miss that stuff. Right. And it's hard to like really separate the last year of his life. With yeah. How awesome the first 17 were like he's one of the coolest cats I've ever had, like ever known, period. Yeah. And maybe I'm biased because he's my cat. But right. Right. Man, he was a cool dude. He's mm. a he was a cool dude. All right. Moving on. R.I.P. <laughs> sonny buddy. <sighs> I'm glad I didn't cry when I talked about it. I was really worried that yeah. I was going to cry about it. All right. <clears throat> so, in this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> I used some articles uh, in the preparation of this podcast today. And uh, one was from GoldenGlobes.com, and that was by Ana Maria Bahaina. Bahiana. Bahiana. 
B-A-H-I-A-N-A. Bahiana. Bahiana. I can't say it. I'm sorry, Aunt Anna Maria. I also used one from HollywoodReporter.com, and that one was by Aaron Couch. I can pronounce that one easily. Aaron. C Aaron. O W. Aaron Couch. Um, well, I suppose we can probably just get right into that homework review, huh, Trav? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so we did, and you should have watched, dear listener, Independence Day from 1996. And uh, luckily for you, this one's coming out on July 3rd, just in time for the 4th of July holiday season. And it's actually the 27-year anniversary from when it came out on July 3rd. You know, this podcast, the strings, the threads that connect these shows to so many things, and it's all unintentional. So unintentional. All unintentional. I mean, we did think to do this movie, and we looked at the dates and knew it would be the third but we had no idea that even it was released on the third or that it was the 27 year anniversary right so i mean that's just super cool it was a no-brainer in the first year and a half of this podcast to do independence day on independence day yeah really close independence so it was a no-brainer it just it amuses me every time when this stuff happens in this podcast every time so interestingly enough though uh, Fox, the per, uh, the production company, uh, the studio that uh, made this movie, they did not like the title Independence Day. I don't get it. Uh, they liked the title Doomsday. They wanted to really buy into that, you know, disaster movie vibe that sure, it really is having. Sure. Um, ultimately, though, Emmerich and Devlin, the director and writers, uh, won. And uh, even though that title belonged to Warner Brothers at the time, they negotiated, they bought it from them. I never did see how much they had to pay for the title, but they got it from Warner Brothers. Sure. Uh, Emmerich was also concerned with in quotes, with this Tim Burton movie called Mars Attacks uh, <laughs> because it's a comedy. And he's like. This movie, this comedy cannot come out before our serious alien film. Right. Otherwise, it's just going to, you know, people are going to expect the same thing, I'm thinking. Or yeah. they're going to, I don't know. Uh, this is a much better movie. Spoiler alert. So much better. <laughs> Obviously, if you've done your homework, you know this. <laughs> uh, they definitely wanted an Independence Day like tie in. So, Bill Mechanic, what a name, right? Bill Mechanic. Bill I, Mechanic. <laughs> Bill Mechanic, the studio head at the time, said, uh, We tested this title and it's not working really well. Well, we want this movie to open on Memorial Day. And Emmerich said, tough luck. <laughs> it's going to get released on Independence Day. Or yeah. Third. So, uh, a way to stick to your guns, Mr. Roland Emmerich. Yep. Um, speaking of Roland, he directed this movie. He's also known for movies uh, like Universal Soldier in 1992, Stargate in 1994, and 1998's Godzilla. Did you, did you ever see the 1998 Godzilla with Matthew Broderick? Once. Once. That's about all it deserves. <laughs> yeah. I was interested because I saw something on it the other day. I was like, we'll probably cover that eventually. Yes. Uh, we're definitely going to get to Universal Soldier at some time. That's got JCVD. Oh, yeah. And Dolph Lundgren in it. Oh. It's got them both oh, in it. Oh, baby. And Stargate, too. Stargate is a secret favorite movie of mine. Sure. Like, it's it's a really cool movie. Um, what's it? Robert California. I can't think of his name from The Office. Yeah. What's his name? What's his I name? I don't know What's his, his actual name? name. What's his name? He's oh. Robert California. And he's way more famous than Robert California. You know what <laughs> I mean? He's in it. So is Kurt Russell's in it. And there's a couple other people in it, too. It's a really cool movie. I nice. like that movie a lot. So we'll do that one eventually. And 1998 Godzilla. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Just for Puff Daddy's cover of that Led Zeppelin song, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's all. That's, that's the only reason. Uh, uh, 1996's Independence Day was written by Dean Devlin, and forgive me if I say Dean Delvin, because it's really close. Yeah. Dean Devlin uh, and Roland Emmerich. 
the idea for Independence Day came to them at a press conference in Europe for the film Stargate. Nice. Uh, Emmerich was asked by a journalist uh, why he made stories about aliens, because it was publicly known that Emmerich didn't believe in aliens. Mm-hmm. And his answer, to quote, was, Aliens are a fascinating subject, and I always like the way American genre movies are, like Western, science fiction movies, fantasy and horror films. He liked them. I liked them as a kid. Uh, and they were really not, there weren't really many of those movies in Germany when he was a kid, because he's a German national. Sure. Uh, and so this triggered the idea of what would become the top movie of 1996. Uh, the whole movie pretty much came to them in one day, while Devlin and Emmerich vacationed together in Mexico in 1995. Mm-hmm. As we already mentioned, Emmerich had already heard about Mars Attacks, and it was close, kind of close to what they wanted to do. I mean, it, there's some similarities. There's Definitely. some There's some parody there between the two movies. Yep. Um, and he found out by making some sneaky phone calls to Warner Brothers that uh, it was that uh, Mars Attacks was slated for August of 1996. So Emmerich and Dean left immediately to go write their movie so it could come out before. That's crazy. That is pretty cool. It's crazy that the other, that Burton's crew didn't get wind that someone was poking around and then, well, we're going to put ours out in June. Right. I would love to hear the other side of that story. Yeah. That'd be interesting to hear because in that research that I did for Mars Attacks, there was no hint of Independence Day in any of it. Yeah. So they must have just been completely blindsided and by Independence Day. And they were a month Day. off. That's super crazy. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm sure there's a pretty cool story there. Uh, Tim, if you're out there, Tim Burton, I know you're a listener. <laughs> Tim, Tim Burton. Tim Burton, I know you're you're listening. Email us. Uh, that's overdue homework podcast at gmail.com. Thanks, uh, Tim. <laughs> this uh, movie was produced by Dean Devlin. Uh, I love I love that name. Dean Devlin. Dean Devlin. Dean Devlin. Uh, starring Will Smith, Bill Pullman, Jeff Goldblum. Love me some Jeff Goldblum. Love me some Jeff Goldblum. Uh, Mary McDonald, uh, Judd Hirsch, uh, Margaret Collin, Randy Quaid, Vivica A. Fox, Robert Loja. Loja. Uh, James Rebhorn and Harvey Firestein. It was released July 3rd, 1996. Uh, And after a six-week, $30 million marketing campaign, Independence Day was released THX certified VHS on November 22nd, 1996. That's a pretty quick turnaround for a VHS tape, don't you think? Yeah, that's super quick. Straight to VHS. And it is is still, because, I mean, people aren't releasing VHS tapes anymore. What? Uh, Maybe we should. Maybe we should. I'd be okay with that. Uh, it's still the seventh best-selling VHS of all time. Hell yeah. Behind Jurassic Park at number five. Ooh. And the best-selling VHS of all time, Aladdin. Aladdin. Nice. I, I wouldn't have pegged Aladdin as being the best-selling VHS of all time. I wouldn't either, but it's awesome. And it was both of our favorite Disney movies. Correct. Um, but you own Independence Day on VHS. I do. So you contributed to that, and I, I owned it, so I contributed to that. I, and we both had Jurassic Park, correct? I feel like if you were, yes, we both had Jurassic Park. Yeah. I feel like if you were like a 10, 11, 12-year-old in the mid-90s, like you were issued Independence Day. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. You went to school, and like, here's your copy of Independence Day. Yeah, this is your homework for life. <laughs> for life. Just watch it all Just the time. Just keep watching it. <laughs> Um, and interestingly enough, Independence Day was originally scheduled to air on Fox on September 16th, 2001, but was canceled following the September 11th attacks. Right. Uh, the network replaced Independence Day with a repeat airing of There's Something About Mary. Hey, good movie. Good movie. That's a good movie. It's, it's, it's just uh, so much of this 90s stuff has such a 
tight tie to 9-11. Yeah. It's just interesting. And, of course, there were some video games that were associated with Independence Day. Um, the first one was released in February 1997 for the PlayStation, Sega Saturn, and the PC. Um, it seems like, from the research I did, most of the games were cash grabs, yeah. like a lot of movie-related games. You I'm know? sure. Uh, there was also a pinball-related machine that was uh, uh, released by Sega in June of 1996. Um, did you ever play any of the games, the Independence Day games on the PlayStation or anything like that? No. I never did either, and I've, I really don't even remember seeing them like at the video store. I feel like there's a chance that I've seen or played this pinball machine, though. I think I've seen the pinball machine, but I yeah. don't think I've ever played it because okay. I can, I can, I think I can picture what the pinball machine looks like yeah. in my head. I think Same. I can, but I did not know there was video games. No, because um, they were probably terrible. Probably terrible. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that would be a good extra credit sometime. Some Independence Day video games. There we go. I like that idea. Um, so, uh, are you ready to get on over? to the scene by scene breaking it down let's break it down let's break it down so i couldn't really find a good place to put this uh, little fact in here but i want everybody to be well aware that because of the new wave of digital resources spurred by movies like jurassic park over three thousand special effects shots were commissioned with the mixture of miniatures and computer generated effects so they literally took a like grabbed the idea from Jurassic Park and said, we're going to mix real life and CGI and we're going to put it together. Yeah. So thanks, Jurassic Park. Thanks, Jurassic Park. I love you, Jurassic Park. And again, we didn't plan for no. anything to tie no. between these two movies. And not only did we get the treat of Jeff Goldblum back-to-back movie sessions here, but that's just super cool. That, oh, it just... Perfectly ties together like we planned this, but we did not. So thank goodness we bumped Jurassic Park for the better part of a year. Yeah, because we were <laughs> slated to do that last year. Last yeah, year. We bumped it like three times. Hey, so. it was going to be one of the like first ten episodes yeah, that we did. We I'm... need to do Jurassic Park. Yeah, Glad we waited. Hey, that's cool. <laughs> uh, so with this movie opening up, we instantly get like the instant insane like intensity with the words exploding in our faces oh, yeah. right and it's like a combination of a lot of really great like non- 90s fonts it made me think of like the font from uh like star trek next yeah. generation it made me think of the font from uh terminator mm-hmm. and the way the stuff was exploding into our faces yeah uh, made me think of uh every batman movie <laughs> every batman movie <laughs> every batman movie so i thought that was really cool uh, the movie opens up and it's July 2nd and there's an insanely large alien mothership approaching uh, Earth and we get that straight, uh, shot straight out of Star Wars, right? Yep. Like that's an obvious Easter egg to Star Wars, the way the ship is passing over the camera like that. And uh, so, you know that plaque that we see at the very beginning on the moon that talks about the people that have landed there? Yep. There is a plaque like that, multiple plaques like that actually on the moon, okay. but they're attached to the l- lunar landers. They weren't like placed on the surface. Sure, sure. So those are real things that are on the moon that are on the lunar landers from the apollo missions that actually landed on the moon yeah um we immediately move over to seti again you know that's a big time in the 90s shout out the species yep. <laughs> shout out species <laughs> and uh, the nerds have received uh, a message from space uh, the skies are clear, so tis be the real thing, I guess, yep. right? Uh, this We find out the signal's coming from the moon. It's coming from the moon. The moon. <laughs> Next, we get to move over to Space Command at the Pentagon with Kevin Arnold's dad. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I was like, oh, it's Kevin Arnold's dad. <laughs> 
and we find out that the object has a diameter of over 550. He says kilometers, and I hate when people say kilometers. It's yeah. kilometers. It's kilometers. <laughs> it's kilometers. Is it an asteroid? No, it's slowing down. <laughs> That's not good. That's not good. Uh, so it's definitely time to get the Secretary of Defense on the line, and he doesn't care if uh, he's sleeping. Wake him up. Wake him up. So he's he's been informed now. He's been informed. <laughs> Next, we get to see the First Lady and the President having a short conversation. She's in L.A., and he's in D.C. They never explicitly point out that she's in L.A., do they? No. No, and we don't find that out until a lot later on that Way she's actually later. in L.A. Like, yeah, we know that they're not together, obviously. Right, right. But yeah. Why didn't she say, I'll be coming home from L.A. as soon as the meetings are over? Yeah. Right? Something. Well, Nope, no L.A. No. talk. Whatever. No LA we don't talk. really need that, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> apparently. Uh, so now it's time for the president to start his day. Um, we find out that he is a former soldier, and the media is calling him a wimp, saying he's too young, which, personally, if I could have a president that was the age of Bill Pullman in yeah. this movie, I would love that. 100%. Give me somebody that's not... Give me somebody that didn't see World War II. Yeah, I don't <laughs> need an 80-year-old who can't walk. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, we find out that Constance Spano, and they call her Connie in the rest of the movie, is President Whitmore's press secretary, and they discuss the politics of the day. Uh, President Whitmore gets a call from the Secretary of Defense, and uh, what do you think he's? Uh, what do you think he said to get the president say? Can you repeat that? What do you think he said, Trav? Uh, sir, there's some motherfucking aliens on there. <laughs> sir, there is the biggest alien spacecraft I have ever seen in my life. Uh, what? <laughs> Can you repeat that, please? Here, please. Aliens, sir. Aliens. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next, we see a satellite smashing into the mothership descending on Earth, which that satellite looked a lot like the Mir space station, which was still in orbit at the time, which was like the Russian space station that was yeah. up there for a long time. I was like, so was it supposed to be the Mir space station? I don't know. I don't know. Or is it just like a normal satellite? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but next, we move on to Central Park with David Levinson and his father playing chess, his father Julius. So Devlin said that the one character that he had in mind uh, from day one was Jeff Goldblum. So this nice. whole thing was written for Jeff. As they were working on the script, I would he would do his best Jeff Goldblum impression. Uh, and then they were basing his father, Judd Hirsch's Julius, off of his grandfather, off of Devlin's grandfather, um, who was also named Julius. Nice. So he liked to take, uh, he liked to take, uh, uh, put a personal touch on his screenwriting, I guess. Yep. Uh, David, we find out that David is a defender of the earth and he's concerned about his father's styrofoam cup. Yeah. It's kind of weird to see a styrofoam cup because you don't really see them anymore, like at all. You yeah. don't see them at all because they're really, really bad for the environment. Yeah. Uh, plus his smoking, uh, plus he hates smoking. And he rides a bike before it was cool to ride a bike. Everywhere. Correct. <laughs> he was really into that bike. It went everywhere with him. Right. He should have brought that bike on the spaceship. Oh, dude. <laughs> Just bring the bike. <laughs> Just bring a bike. And we also find out that David is a divorcee and he's pretty damn good at chess. He's pretty damn good at chess. Either that or Julius is really, really bad at chess. One of the two. But <laughs> one of the two. we're going to go with option one. <laughs> yeah. uh, we move over to where David works and that's Compact Cable. Compact Cable. Compact Cable. And we meet the coolest character of the entire movie. Who's the coolest? this character the entire movie. David <laughs> oh my god David are you listening <laughs> oh I love that character also he's hilarious yes. they have all kinds of distortions and stuff going on with the TV signals it's like the signals are ma- the the TV signals are making it like it's the 1950s <laughs> it's like the satellites aren't there anymore 
Uh, David looks at his piece of paper and says, this can't be possible. This okay. can't be possible. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I also really love the Fruitopia machine that they have in their office. I love that you put that in the notes because that was like my favorite thing, the Fruitopia machine and the Coke cans. Yeah, the Coke cans. I always love paying attention to like the marketing and that, but we had one of those Fruitopia machines in our high school. Oh, nice. I think we had one too in our high school because, nice. you know, those. Uh, it, it's a Coke product. Fruitopia is a Coke yep. product. And uh they they pay schools to have their pop machines in schools. Oh, nice. That's how they get into schools. That's because they want to get the kids hooked. Makes sense. I mean, I still chug too much pop, so. That's for show. That's for show. Shout out Dr. Pepper. Shout out still DP. waiting on that sponsor. <laughs> I really like that David had very little care for all the commotion that was going on in the room. Like, he just was care, just was wondering about what was going on in his own head and what yeah. he had going on in his office. He had Tone deaf to what's going on. Very little care. Very, very little care. Next, we get to move over to the California desert with some kids and a drunk crop duster, their father, Russell. 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 He sucks most of the movie, doesn't he? <laughs> yes, he does. He really does. Uh, he's crop dusting the wrong field. That's the wrong field, you idiot. <laughs> Come on, man. Come, Come on, on, dude. Uh, back in space and the invasion is beginning and the public is still in the dark for the most part. Yes. Um, I love the like pure epicness of the spaceships. Oh, like 100%. they do a really good job of making you feel their size and oh, like, yeah. feel like how enormous and everything is about them. Mm-hmm. I really love that a lot about those spaceships um, at the White House now in the Oval Office. Uh, it's the same old bit as like every alien movie. Maybe they're just going to pass us by. Yeah. Let's nuke it. Let's nuke it. <laughs> uh, then finally, the president gets the info that the ship has split into many ships and they will be in the atmosphere in 25 minutes. So here comes some aliens. You got 25 minutes, guys. That's a problem. That is a problem. And so they are here. Uh, I love the look of the alien ships entering the atmosphere, right? Yeah. That's the friction of them re-entering. That's all the fire and yep. stuff like that. I really love that. Uh, the aliens have blocked all the radar, uh, except for the infrared is off the charts. Off the charts. Jeez. Jeez. <laughs> Uh, the ships are appearing all over the world and people are going nuts. It's just a widespread panic everywhere. Obviously. Uh, yeah. So we find out that there's a military uh, plane off the coast of California in the air that can go check out one of the ships that's entering the atmosphere. And they call it an AWAC, which is an aerial <laughs> early warning system is what the military use. It's, oh, the, okay. it's the airplane with the big satellite dish. Thing yeah, on, you know, yeah. They're out there just observing and doing that type of stuff. Uh, they have zero visibility. Their instrumentation is malfunctioning. And oops, a daisy, we flew directly into a giant fireball. Whoops! <laughs> like <laughs> maybe don't fly directly into it. Maybe dodge that. Maybe dodge it. I mean, they should have when they're flying up. They should have understood that this thing is coming at them, right? I didn't understand that. They should have been like. It would have been super obvious for them to see that this was happening in the distance while they were flying around out there already. Right. But yet they flew directly into directly it. Directly into it. That part was really confusing for me. Like, it was, uh, that was you dumb. didn't see that coming. Okay. That, it was definitely dumb. You deserve to die. <laughs> uh, we find out that there's 10 minutes till one of the ships makes it to D.C. Uh, Mr. President, we need to evacuate you. And he says, no, I'm staying here. Uh, Send everybody else to NORAD, right? So Mm -hmm. he'll be there. Everybody else is going to NORAD. Uh, Use the emergency broadcast system to tell everyone to stay in their homes and don't panic. Um, we don't we don't know if they're going to be hostile yet, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
what happens if they do turn out to be hostile, though? Well, God help us then. <laughs> God help us. <laughs> uh, back at the compact cable with David. Uh, David is still pretty oblivious to the alien invasion. Uh, he found a pattern in the signal, though, and it's reducing itself every time it recycles. So eventually, it's going to disappear. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, David notices what's going on and sees his ex-wife, the press secretary, uh, giving the nation a briefing on the situation. Uh, the phenomenon hasn't caused any damage. Stay calm and don't panic. So far, the government is tracing three objects in L.A., New York, and D.C. So are you aware of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? I know the movie, but I've never seen it. Okay, so it's a series of books written by Douglas Adams that was done in the late 70s, early 80s. And one of the really big, like, it's about an aliens, about aliens that come to Earth to destroy Earth to make way for, like, basically a uh, space... Um, uh, bypass like a highway bypass oh, okay. and they like come down and land and they're like we're going to destroy your planet and <laughs> that's it and that's over with and a big theme in the book is don't panic and so I think that might be a direct reference to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy oh, okay. I think that's what that's supposed to be at least uh, most of the people at Compact Cable are headed down to an old bomb shelter in the building, uh, leaving David and Marty in the office. Uh, there's no shame in hiding. <laughs> I better call my mother. And obviously you recognize Marty as Aunt Frank from Mrs. Doubtfire, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. obviously. Uh, and lots of other stuff he was in, including voice work on The Simpsons. So he uh, has quite the, quite the career in the 90s. So now we're back in the desert with uh, Russell at a diner, and he's getting harassed by the locals. Apparently, Russell was abducted, and the good old boys think he's a loon. Uh, Tell me, did they do anything sexual to you while you were up there? (laughs) That dude is way too obsessed about him being sexually abused by aliens. Oh, yeah. He's a creep. (laughs) Uh, Quickly, though, everyone at the diner stops what they're doing and go outside because they see an alien spacecraft entering the atmosphere. Oh, (laughs) mic drop. Uh, Back in L.A., we get to meet Captain Stephen Hiller, uh, his girlfriend Jasmine Dubrow, and her son Dylan Dubrow. Uh, They're just getting out of bed and have zero idea of what's going on. Yeah. (laughs) The house is shaking. Is it an earthquake? Not even a four-pointer. Go back to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the alien ships have arrived. Uh, uh, the alien ships have arrived at all the major cities mentioned before, uh, causing panic and car accidents and lots of stair faces. Lots People of just stair faces. Just getting out in the middle of traffic. Yep. Just slamming on the brakes. I'm just getting out. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I don't Later. know. I feel like I would at least pull my car over to the side. Something. Uh, wouldn't you? Like even if you saw something crazy, I better pull over. Yeah, I don't know. When this all clears up, I'm not trying to pay a ticket. You know? <laughs> well, truth. Very, very true. <laughs> um, the the way the ships moved like past that wall of clouds looked super cool to me. Yeah, I, I loved like the e- epicness. I've said that already. Uh, I love the way that they look. I love the 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 sense of dread you get when they finally make that appearance and yeah. you really see what these ships look like and right. how like. Uh, like evil they look I, mean, I don't yeah. know if there's a better word for it but like sinister. evil sinister how they look I like that a lot fear inducing it's fear inducing even in me it was fear inducing yeah. uh, David is in awe though he's on the roof and uh, I love Goldblum and his sexy unbuttoned shirt oh. the whole <laughs> every little bit of that he's never he, he uh, a white tank nobody can make a white tank look better than he can seriously <laughs> nobody uh, and in that moment on the roof, David figures it out. The signal. My God, it's a countdown. 
uh, now we're at the White House and uh, Connie and President with Connie and President Whitmore. Uh, Connie wants to know what do we do, and President Whitmore's like address the nation. There's going to be a lot of frightened people out there, and Constance is one of them. Yeah. I would be one of them. I would be. <laughs> uh, back in L.A. with uh, Hiller and Jasmine. Um, originally, Ethan Hawke was supposed to be. Captain Stephen Hiller. Really? Yeah. How would you like? How would you have liked Ethan Hawke as Captain Stephen Hiller? I mean, I like Ethan Hawke, but I know um, this is peak Will Smith. I mean, it's... this this is like right in the smack dab of Men in Black, Wild Wild West. Yeah, like, I love Will yes. Smith. Yes, and he, um, I think Fresh Prince had ended in '96. I think I'm not 100 percent sure of that. He might have still been doing Fresh Prince in '96. Maybe. It was around that time. It was about, yeah. It didn't make it into the 2000s, uh, Fresh no, Prince. So no. it was around that time when it was probably off the air. Um, but uh, uh, Ethan Hawke ultimately wasn't chosen because he was thought to be too young. Um, it was clear that it had to be Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum in this film. Uh, the studio said, uh, no, we don't like Will Smith. He's unproven. He doesn't work in, in international markets. Racist. Super racist. Super racist. Uh, they said, you can't cast a black guy in this part. You're going to kill the foreign box office. Yikes. Super racist. Well, Will Smith made him eat that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Emmerich and Devlin, our arg- argument was, well, the movie's about space aliens. It's not gonna, it's, it's going to do fine in the foreign market. Yeah. The movie's about aliens. It's not about Will Smith. So put your racism to the side. Put your racism <laughs> to the side. Um, it was a big thing, and uh, Roland really stood up for Smith at the time and ultimately won that war. So, good job, Roland Emmerich. I'm glad you did. Yeah. Uh, so, now at this point, uh, Captain Stephen Hiller is just nonchalantly getting ready for the day. Um, Will Smith piss scene, because, yeah, why not? Why not? <laughs> why not? Uh, Hiller notices that the neighbors are packing their bags and leaving. Must be getting sick of the earthquakes. Yeah. <laughs> Hiller moves into the qui- uh, into the kitchen. And, hey, babe, there's some uh, something on the news about the quake. Well, it's not really about the quake. <laughs> yeah. uh, Dylan comes inside from shooting the aliens. <laughs> Hiller heads outside to get the paper and doesn't notice that gigantic alien ship for a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> Very long time. <laughs> Very long time. It takes up like they're obviously up on a hillside. It takes up like the whole like view. His whole view. Yeah. You couldn't not miss it. Just <laughs> yeah. walk. Just walking outside, you'd be like, "What? What, what is that? That's really, really weird." And then even Jasmine, hey, babe, you want some coffee? What? What? <laughs> I just uh, uh, come on, come on, <laughs> come on, come on, come on. Uh, back in New York City with David and Marty, uh, we find out that uh, the ships are appearing all over the world. There's 15 to 20 of them. Uh, Marty is on the phone with his mother, and David tells Marty to have her pack up and leave town. But why? Just do it. Just do it. <laughs> I'm not going to accuse Jeff Goldblum of overacting in this movie occasionally, but he occasionally is overacting. In, Definitely. <laughs> in this There's movie. one specific scene that I was like, that was bad. That was bad, right? Yeah. I agree with you. Uh, and then uh, Marty wants to know, David, why did you you do do you can you do that Marty voice? Can you do it, David? Why did you send my mother to Atlanta? <laughs> oh, the signal within the signal is a countdown to extinction. It's like chess: get all your pieces into position and then strike. Then what? Checkmate. 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 Chipmate. Chipmate. <laughs> 
uh, next is the presidential address, and uh, the aliens are here, and we don't know what they want. Great. <laughs> Great. Uh, David calls Constance while she's on the sidelines while uh, President Whitmore is doing his uh, his uh, presidential address, and he tells her that they have to leave the White House, leave Washington immediately, because they're going to be attacked. I mean, obviously, right? Obviously. <laughs> Uh, you're being paranoid, she says, and then hangs up on him. Okay, see you later. Don't even, don't even listen to your MIT graduate former husband. That's really smart. What does he know? Uh, the scene ends with the president telling the people of America that if they feel like leaving the cities affected by the alien ships, please do in an orderly fashion. That's not going to happen. No. (laughs) That's not going to happen. Uh, it's mass looting in New York City and David is going to get his father. Uh, in LA with Hiller and Jasmine now. Um, Hiller has been called by his commanding officer to get on over to the military base because there's aliens. <laughs> yeah. J- J- Jasmine is not very happy about this. Uh-uh, you called him back. You said you was on leave for the 4th. Well, they canceled it. <laughs> well, they canceled it. I love that. Why are you acting like this? There's aliens. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then she goes, that's why, as she's gesturing out the window. So she understands that there's aliens and he's a Marine. So the military's probably going to want him. Yeah. Okay. That's kind of how it works. It, that's kind of how it works. Hiller reassures his girlfriend, though, Jasmine. I don't think they flew 90 billion light years to cause a ruckus. No. They're here in peace. They're here in peace, right? For sure. For sure. Uh, and then he invites them to stay with them, stay with him on the military base to reassure her that nothing bad's going to happen. Come with me. Stay with me. You'll see that's all nothing, right? Yeah. It's all nothing. Pack a few things. You come with me. Which she doesn't go with him. We find out later that she, why she doesn't go with him, but we'll get to that. Point. Yeah. It's still weird that she wasn't just like, okay, let's go. Yeah. I would have been like, okay, let's go. Back in New York City with David, uh, and he makes it to his father's place, and he gets greeted with a gun to the face. Yikes. I mean, I guess I would be waving guns around, too, if the, everything was getting looted, but Probably. David's pretty lucky he didn't get shot in the face, I think. Yeah, I think. I think. Do you still have your Plymouth? You want to borrow the car? David, you don't have a license. You're driving, Dad. You're driving. I'm driving? <laughs> I'm driving? Seems like a guy that probably hasn't driven in a number of years. Yes. Uh, next we get to see the first lady and the president have a quick conversation. She's staying in LA and he wants her out. She promises to leave as soon as her interviews are done. So we still don't know for sure that she is in Los Angeles. They don't say specifically that she's in Los Angeles. She's just saying she wants to stay until her conferences are done. Right. She is in Los Angeles for a for fundraising for his potential next campaign. That yeah. is why she's there. Do they ever say that? I had to like look that up I don't on the think internet. So. They never say why she's in LA. She's there for a fundraiser. Yeah. That's why she's there. Uh... David and his dad are on the way to DC now, and uh, they're the only ones headed that way in the one shot. And then when they yeah. get into the car, there's all types of traffic around him. Right. Whatever. Um, I love the egg, the arguments that they have within the car. It's a good bit of comic relief. Yeah. Um, what are you going to do, David? If they want HBO, they'll call you then, right? Uh, <laughs> what are you going to do when you get to the White House? Walk up and ring the doorbell? Yes, kind of. <laughs> And this is that line. All right, all right, all right, let's just get there. Let's, just, let's get there as fast as we can. It's just the way he does that line is just too much to me. It's like, were they like frustrated at this point? And he just gave up. It was just very gold bloom and did not. He was very out of character. I thought for that. It feels like a lot of the impressions of Goldblum come from this movie. Yeah, doesn't it? Like, yeah. not even. Uh, uh, in Jurassic Park. Yeah, there's a little bit of gold bloomium stuff in there, but he is 
really Jeff Goldblum in this movie. Definitely. Like, yes, it's very yes. thick, like, just doing his Jeff Goldblum thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, do you think it's not going to be there when we get there? <laughs> <laughs> and then Jeff, of course, gives him the Goldblum eyes, which... Uh, I'm always good. I'm always, I always appreciate. Always appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what he's worried about, of course. Uh, back in the desert, and we see Russell was arrested for dropping pamphlets at the courthouse uh, from his crop duster. So were those pamphlets, like, saying, like, hey, I was abducted by aliens, or, like, <laughs> hey, there's aliens, and everybody's like, yeah, we can see the dumb aliens. They're already there, man. We can tell they're aliens. Why are yeah. you, you doing this? Must have just been too drunk, I guess. I guess. Uh, his kids are definitely less than impressed. Oh, I did. Yeah. I loved how Miguel spit out his, <laughs> like, oh my God, it's dad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, dude still pretty much sucks. That Still point. sucks. Still sucks. Uh, then the interview with the good old boys, and he went straight to the sexual abuse thing straight again. Straight to the to sexual it. abuse. When they took him into the spaceship, the aliens abused him sexually. Sexually. <laughs> sexually. And the other dude's like, mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I seen it. I seen it. I seen it. Uh, Miguel rounds up his sibs because they're on their way to get as far away from there as they can. And uh, Miguel saves his sis from the end of a, from an end of the world mistake. I mean, uh, yep. maybe if the world is gonna end, just let her get laid. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> let yeah. it let it happen. I right. Don't know. You don't want to die a virgin, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I totally recognize that kid. Did you recognize him too? The one that said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did, but I didn't know from what. So I, I thought it was just this movie or something. He's in a bunch of stuff in the nineties. Okay. I, I did look it up at the time, but of course I don't remember any of it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I definitely recognized him. What a compelling argument. You don't want to die a virgin, <laughs> do you? <laughs> Ultimately, does it matter? Because you're dead. <laughs> yeah. Does it really matter? You're so dead. you can enjoy the fact that you're not a virgin for less than 24 hours? Less than 24 hours. Okay. Yeah, whatever. All right. Uh, boy, whatever. Um, as they are leaving uh, in the RV, they see Russell getting dropped off. You read my mind. We need to get as far away from here as possible. Uh, they let you out like Jesus. They yeah. let you out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they let me out. They got bigger fish to fry. Yeah, thanks a lot. Bigger fish to fry. Bigger fish to fry. <laughs> uh, at El Toro now, which is the military base with Stephen Hiller and his squad that happens to include 90s crooner Harry Connick Jr., which is interesting. Like, he's one of those, like, multi-five-tool threats. Like, he sings, he acts, he does all types of stuff. I don't know. Like, oh, his best friend in the movie? Yeah, yeah. That's okay, the, yeah. He's a, yeah, he's got, like, I looked it up real quick. He's got, like... A few number one singles, 18 top 10 singles, whatever. I'm not a Harry Connick Jr. fan, but it's just kind of interesting. Yeah. Like It's just one of those, like, I'm going to sing, I'm going to act, I'm going to do everything, I guess. We see that uh, Captain Stephen Hiller got a letter from NASA because Stephen wants to be an astronaut, and he was rejected. I love the proposal gag. I think it's a pretty good moment of brevity. I think it's pretty darn funny. Yeah. Um, it was a really good way for them to poke at the don't ask, don't tell policy in the military in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, don't ask, don't tell in the nineties was basically their way of getting around. Not like if you were gay before then you weren't allowed to be in the military basically. Right. And so the whole idea was you can be gay and in the military, but don't tell anybody and don't ask anybody about yep. it. So don't ask, don't tell. Um, it was, uh, is a good way for them. Cause the dude was just like, Oh, sorry, man. I don't ask, don't tell. <laughs> she she should have literally said that. Don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. Um, uh, um, what did you think of the ring that Steven had picked out? Atrocious. <laughs> Dolphin themed, huh? Pro- probably the ugliest <laughs> ring I've ever seen in my life. I mean, seriously, I don't think I've ever seen a ring to compare to that in any movie or show. I can't think of anything like that. 
She, I don't know, man. She loves dolphins. <laughs> like, Does she love dolphins that <laughs> Does much? Does she though? love dolphins that much? I don't know. And I, I just. Bad, no, man. it's bad. It's bad. <laughs> it's really it doesn't. Bad. It doesn't look fancy. It looks very gimmicky. It looks like one of them hundred dollar got it from Wish rings. <laughs> yeah, right. But really he's genuinely see. serious. Like <laughs> I bought this because she likes dolphins. <laughs> then get her a dolphin picture and buy her a normal <laughs> ring. Like seriously, I love that. And then the best line of the scene from Jimmy Harry Connick Jr. You're never gonna get to fly the space shuttle if you marry a stripper. <laughs> it's a very funny, very funny line. Um, that's right, folks. Jasmine is a stripper. Get over it. It's the 90s. Hey, she doesn't care. No, she doesn't care. Uh, Vivica is a fox. That is for sure. She that's is super sure. hot. Uh, dancing to an empty room. Um, it's one of the dumbest parts of the whole movie, right? Why Definitely. is she? There's nobody. Like, the moment she probably went out on stage, there would have been nobody looking at her. Everybody would have been like, it's just the dumbest, one of the dumbest parts of this whole movie. Like, so dumb. So dumb. So, <laughs> I didn't even think about that until right now. So the reason she doesn't go with him is because she has to go to work. Well, she says when she goes back into the dressing room before she talks to Tiffany, yeah. I just came in here to get my check and they talked me into working. Oh. I must be the dumbest something or other ever. Right, right, right. right? Oh my God. Like, she is then. Because what is the then. hell? You saw the spaceship and you... How did they talk her into working there? And who who has Dylan? Yeah, who has Dylan? Who has Dylan? That is a good question. Where's who, Dylan? Where's Dylan? Dylan is a little child. He's a child. I know it's the 90s. Like, and This isn't The Shining. There's no hotel for him to go run around in. <laughs> no. Where is Dylan? And how in the world, with a spaceship in the air, at least one that you know of, that you saw... Did your work get you to agree to work when no one's there to watch you? Right. And it's not like there's a packed crowd. We need you. Right. No one else showed up. I'll pay you triple. I know there's aliens. Oh, but there's nobody there. No. And it was the bartender and the other strippers at the bar looking at a TV. Looking so, at a TV. There's nobody else there. Yeah. Sorry, your dance is over. No one's paying <laughs> attention. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and you know you know why they have this scene? They have this scene so we can meet Tiffany, because Tiffany is an integral part to this movie. Very <laughs> integral part to this movie. She wants to go greet the aliens, and Jasmine asks her not to. End scene. End, I mean, End scene. I wonder what happens. <laughs> <laughs> they literally could have chopped all of that out. 100%. They, you don't even need to know who that is. You can just have the crowd of people on that building with the signs. We don't need to know one specific crazy person up there. Yes, this gives plausibility to the fact that Jasmine stayed behind. This is why she stayed behind, and this is why she finds the first lady, and this is why she rescues all those people. I guess. But she could. they could have just had her like in a traffic jam for yeah. the whole time. Yeah. Not just that little bit. Yeah. Definitely. They could have cut all of that stuff out. Or we didn't even need to meet Tiffany. Like no. She could have went there and somehow we'll push past that she was convinced to go up there on stage, realize no one's paying attention, right. they're watching TV, all right, I'm out of here, you leave. And even if they wanted to have Tiffany in this movie really bad for some reason, like she knows somebody and they're throwing her a bone to get her some work or something, because she yeah. was recognizable, right? I yeah, recognized seen her. her and stuff. Yeah, I recognized her too. They could have just done a single shot of her walking into the building with the sign and then had a shot of her on the roof just like she. we didn't need yep. to know she was a stripper. Nope. We didn't need to know that she knew Jasmine. Nope. We didn't need to have her have that little conversation with Jasmine where nope. Jasmine tried to be like, don't be dumb. You yep. know, don't do that. We didn't, <laughs> we didn't need any of that stuff. Period. Don't, don't do that. Period. 
So back with David and his dad at this point, his dad Julius, and uh, and and David's computer hey. with a CD-ROM that holds every phone book in America. That's right, kids. David <laughs> keeps a disc on him at all times that has every phone number in America on it, including cell phone numbers. Yes. Because she keeps it listed in case of emergencies. Yeah. <laughs> right. Definitely. <sighs> I do have to say that it's some of the most like believable computer stuff that we've seen in any movie that we've done. Oh, yeah. Like, that stuff was believable. 100%. And Jeff Goldblum makes it more believable. I think you're right. Although this, there was no North Dakota and South Dakota on that map when you see it quick. It just oh, says, really? It's just one big blob, and then like Nebraska's right underneath it. I paid way too close attention to that map. <laughs> it, was, it was just... It was geographically incorrect. <laughs> not, that it, not that it matters. <laughs> I really love the shot when David and his dad turn the corner in their car and you see the White House and the spaceship. And it's just like that empty avenue leading up to the White House. I really love that shot. I thought it was really, really cool. So now we are at the White House. And so David's father goes, so do you want to ring the bell? (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, he should have have literally gotten out of the car and went and rang the doorbell, right? But he wouldn't have been able to get there because it's all fenced off. Whatever. Uh, David tries to call Constance, but it is busy. And he's like, that's perfect, though, because now he can use her phone signal to triangulate her location. Great. That's perfect. Great. That's perfect. Uh, so he triangulates his loca- her location and then calls her again and gets through to the cell phone. And then she asks David, how did you get this number? Because you listed it, you dummy. You dummy? <laughs> could have just grabbed any phone book off the street and called you. Yeah. <laughs> Walk to the window and David and his dad are waving. That's pretty cool, right? I like that. Yeah. Um, and she asks, how does he do that? How does he do how that? Because he's really smart. Duh. Duh. <laughs> Uh, next, we get to see those helicopters taking off to make first contact. It was very Close Encounters of the Third Kind-ish. Have you seen that movie, Close Encounters of the Third Kind? No, I have not. Uh, so that one won't be able to be done on our podcast, but it would be a good extra credit uh, um, uh, content for us, I think. Um, they do a similar thing. Have you heard? Do, 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 do. Yeah. That is from Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And they do a similar thing with lights on a helicopter and flat, not on a helicopter. It was just a big, like a big set of lights and flashing at these aliens and stuff. Sure. Close Encounters of the Third Kind is a great movie. And it's got, what's his name from Mr. Holland's Opus in it? What's his name? And Jaws. What's his name? Oh, wait, wait. So maybe I have seen it. So the guy with glasses that's in Jaws, the yes. bearded guy. Yes. Not Richard Dreyfuss. Yes. It is Richard Dreyfuss. Yes, Richard Dreyfuss. Yeah, I've seen this movie. Yeah, yeah it's pretty good, it's actually. It's a good movie. Yeah. It's got lots of aliens. It's got mashed potatoes. It's got Devil's Tower. It's got. It's a good movie. I, I like for it. For some reason, I was confusing that with 2001, A Space oh, Odyssey. yeah, yeah, for sure. I could see He's that. not in that no, movie. No, he's though, not right? in okay, that movie. Then I have this one. I yes. own this movie. You own Close yeah, Encounters. Yeah, nice. I own it. Nice. That would be good extra credit, I yeah, think, Close Encounters. David and his father and Connie are now in the Oval Office, and we find out that David and the president had gotten into a fight because David thought that he was sleeping with Connie. I mean, to David's credit, he did punch him before he was president. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which it's really funny how much they like detest each other. They yeah, really it do. It's like, oh, this guy's here. I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, they really don't like each other. Uh, begrudgingly, Connie goes to go get the president, though, and the president has very little interest in talking to David, but he hears him out anyways because he's a he's a righteous dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> David tells the president that the aliens are using our satellites to communicate to each other. Uh, he says uh, they're using our own satellites against us, and the clock is ticking. 
um, how he describes like line of sight and how they're using the satellites and all that stuff is pretty cool. I love yeah. it's like realistic. It's really plausible. It's really believable. Yeah. Uh, I enjoy that. The the as outlandish as a lot of stuff is in this movie, they did a good job of keeping a lot of stuff pretty grounded. Yeah. I like that about this movie quite a bit. Um, with his newfound information, the president orders everybody to evacuate, which is one of the smartest things he does in the whole movie. Yes. Uh, we go back to the chopper trying to make first contact, first contact, and it does not go well. No, it does not. It does not go well. Uh, full evacuation of the White House is now happening. This is when he goes <laughs> to the ship and there's like the blue light yes, and they're trying to... They get, they get echo, echo one. Yep. I like that guy. <laughs> He's like the most serious, believable person up in an aircraft, I yes. think, in the entire movie. Yes, I would agree with that. Yes. Um, we see the first lady now. She's packing up in L.A. and Jasmine is on the road, which she should have been the whole time. We could have skipped the whole, the whole time. Could have just skipped the whole stripper scene. It was probably here's what it is. It was an excuse to get Vivica A. Fox into a bikini in this movie for some reason. Makes sense. That is the excuse. Yeah, that was it. That was it. And apparently, when she so she knew that she was going to be playing a stripper when she auditioned for this movie. And so when she showed up for her audition, she was wearing like a white bikini and stuff when she did it. And she's like, I secured the role that way. All right, whatever. I'm here Uh, for my lines. No need. No need. Uh, now we see Tiffany not taking Jasmine's advice and she went to the top of that building to greet the aliens anyways and uh, it does not go well for her either. No, it does not. Uh, Marty on the phone calling his shrink. I don't care. For $300 an hour, you can put me through to his house in the Hamptons. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We see the first lady finally being evacuated. And now it's time for a little zappy zappy. A little zappy zappy. zappy zappy. Um, All the ships around the world are now preparing for a first strike. Um, great shot. Love the blue hue when everything opens up and it's getting ready to destroy everything. Uh, the president finally makes it to Air Force One and is being evacuated. Um, I love how he's like walking on the plane and before even the stuff is shut, he's like, get this thing up in the air. We're ready to go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's yep. go. Um, uh, the countdown is over and our buddy David goes, time's up. Time's <laughs> up. And kablooey, there goes L.A. Yikes. <laughs> Good luck, Jasmine. <laughs> Next, it's uh, New York City, and the Empire State Building is done for. Uh, Marty takes a car to the face. Oh, poor Marty. Marty. Poor Marty. Damn it. Why not just try to get out and run? I know. Yeah. Like, I, I guess I, it would I, be... Everyone else in the movie did. Not Marty. Not Marty. He probably had a no running clause in his contract. Yeah. I'm not running. <laughs> and finally, the White House explodes. So, Emmerich commanded the live-action shoots, and... The director, he always has multiple teams working in tandem to film with miniatures and all the other effects. It was very grueling. It was a nine-month schedule for all those teams. And they knew early on uh, that they would have to build a miniature of the White House. Mm-hmm. And miniature, you can use that loosely, I guess. It was 15 feet wide by 5 feet high. So that's a fairly large miniature. Yeah. Uh, they had to build it that big to make the pyro gag look as good as it did. It mm-hmm. was pretty darn believable. Um, a man named Joe V-I-S-K-O-C-I-L. How would you say that? Viscal. Viscussel. Viscussel. Man, these names, man. (laughs) Um, Who had already blown up the Death Star and worked on Terminator 1 and 2, did all the pyrotechnical work for this movie. Nice. That's a pretty big name that's uh, got a lot of experience, I would say. R.I.P. He is dead. (laughs) Sorry, Joe. Um, And it was a big press event to blow up the White House. They put rafters up for the journalists in the studios. 
in the studio where they actually blew it up. Jeez. And uh, they Devlin was quoted as saying, well, Devlin was told by studio heads, I believe, literally, you can't actually blow up the White House, you know, in a movie. You can't do that. You're not allowed to blow up the White House yeah. in a movie. You, just, you can't do that. Um, one of the things they had on, uh, one of the things that they had very early on in this movie was the idea of blowing up the White House and putting it in a TV ad. So, like, completely contrary to what he was basically told. Like, right. that. it was very controversial. Uh, the idea for the ad was it's the 2nd of July and you see the shadows. Uh, and then the 3rd of July, and you have the fire in the sky. And then the 4th of July, and you have the White House explode. It was a pretty simple concept, and Fox hated it. <laughs> they were like, no, I don't like that. Um, Fox said, you can't actually blow up the White House on a TV spot. And Roland said, why? And Fox said, well, because of what happened in Oklahoma City. So yeah. that's a pretty uh, reasonable, because that happened in 1994. That was two years removed from this. Yeah. Oh, excuse me, in 1995. On April 19th, 1995, for those that don't know, do a little research, and I'm surprised that you probably didn't learn about this in school, maybe for our international listeners. Yeah. So April 19th, 1995, an anti-government extremist detonated a bomb in front of the Alfred P. Murrah building, killing over 150 people in Oklahoma City. Uh, and Emmerich was told that doing this a similar thing to the White House in this movie just a year removed could be seen as insensitive. And Emmerich said, yeah, but that was done, but that wasn't done by space aliens. So yeah, his right, argument right. was this is aliens and it's not a terrorist attack. So. Right. They tested the ad once with the White House and once without, and the Fox execs liked it so much when they saw the White House explode, they decided that they would put this in as the first commercial on the Super Bowl. Oh, dang. So it was the first commercial you saw after kickoff in the Super Bowl. Dang. That's pretty cool. Uh, Goldblum was watching the Super Bowl at a party at John Lovett's house. Okay, that had to be <laughs> one of the most fun Super Bowl parties ever. I would assume so. And Goldblum says, it was a raucous party. Goldblum, remember, oh, Goldblum remembers thinking it was a very raucous party. Nice. And then he thought, that's my movie. I'm in that. Wow. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, those were some really crazy cool effects and they were pretty mind blowing in 1996. And I do remember like I mentioned entertainment tonight in the last, in the last episode or maybe two episodes ago, but I do remember them doing spots on like the effects and stuff for this movie. Yeah. Um, it ends in pure devastation, obviously pure devastation. Uh, the president just barely escaping on Air Force One was absolutely thrilling to me. How it yep. was basically being engulfed by flames yeah. as it was taking off. Uh, Jasmine being that last mom action hero next was super duper cool too. Uh, driving, uh, diving into that maintenance closet after she kicks the door in is super badass. Yeah. <laughs> super badass, but talking about the most impossible part of the entire movie. <laughs> right. Everyone else is just getting blown up from this fire, and it's so fast. Yeah. And she keeps looking back. It drives me nuts every time I walk. Quit looking back. <laughs> but somehow she makes it, and I'm ha I'm happy that it worked out this way because I love dogs. But come on, there's no way Boomer made it in there. I was going to say, she even saved the dog. Yeah. Boomer! Boomer! <laughs> and closes the door just in time, even though she just kicked it in. It's even not going to shut. Kicked it in. She's still going to get fried. She's going to be fried. She's going to be fried. Her and Boomer. Her and, and, Boomer and Dylan. And Dylan. Don't forget about Dylan. I don't know where Dylan was. I don't know where Dylan was. He's with Boomer somewhere. <laughs> yeah, where was Boomer, too, when she's <laughs> yeah. at the strip club? They were together in the car. In the car. <laughs> Good mom of the year quality right there at the strip club, working with the daughter or the son and the dog in the car. Mom Yikes. of the year. <laughs> mom, of the, mom of the year. 
Uh, now we see that it's July 3rd. Did you like how the movie was broken up into July 2nd, July 3rd? Yeah. I like that, too. I do, too. It gives, some, gives the movie some real, like, structure to it. Like, you just, you understand that this is happening over three days without anybody ever saying that it's been 48 hours. Yeah. Or I, I, I wonder if there's anyone in the world that was able to sleep the night of the second. I doubt it. I would assume not. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> yeah. Man, how what would that have been like? So now it's a day removed from all of the major uh cities in the world being destroyed. Right. And man. Oof. That is crazy to think about. Luckily we're safe here in Minnesota. But <laughs> yeah, they uh, be one of the last ones. Yeah, Minneapolis wasn't even on the second round. They were headed nope. to Chicago for the second round. Yep. Minneapolis wasn't even we on good. the second round. We good. We got to round five. We good. Yeah, we, round five, exactly. Just uh, July 3rd, and the world is in shambles, and the alien ships are headed to their next targets. Uh, the Statue of Liberty is doing its best Planet of the Apes impression. Uh, have you seen Planet of the Apes? The original, I have not. I've uh, only seen the. It just world. the way it looked in the the way it looked in the water. It just made me think of Chuck Heston. Damn you! You finally <laughs> did it. You blew the whole damn thing up. Somewhere <laughs> along there, at least. Yeah. Spoiler alert: If you've never watched uh, 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 Planet of the Apes, spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's like a fifty-year-old movie at this point yeah so. <clears throat> uh russell and his family see an rv oasis in the desert and the president is having second thoughts at this point a lot of people died today uh i should have evacuated the city sooner uh no news on the first lady the helicopter never made it to dulles so uh, we're all kind of uh, everything's up in the air right now nobody knows what's going on uh, Jasmine and her son emerge into the dust that was a city time to call out the troops in a hurry uh, Steven is ready to get up there and whoop to E.T.'s ass, and he's yeah. going to get his chance. Thank goodness. You loose, and this is him and Jimmy. You loose, you got your victory dance. I got it right here. We don't celebrate until the fat lady sings. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, they're getting ready for battle time. Uh, Steven is thinking that Jasmine is probably dead at this point. Yeah. I would assume that she would be dead. I would, I would assume. I would assume. Like, I still don't get why she didn't immediately go with him. Yeah. I, I just don't, whatever, we'll just move on from that, I'll stop talking about it. Uh, Steven is thinking about Jasmine being very dead, and they're firing those missiles, but none of them are getting through. Uh, they must have some kind of protective shield surrounding the ship. Thanks, Steven. Thanks, Steven. <laughs> <laughs> and then the aliens finally counterattack on them. Wouldn't they have immediately just sent out all their little alien fighter ships as soon as they saw the American or the world mounting a defense? It would have been like an immediate thing. Because they have no desire for peace. No. That's not what they're there for. Right. They've already destroyed a bunch of cities. Exactly. So, yeah. They I feel like would've. they would have just mass exterminated. But It lets us know that the ships have shields. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Oh, I love the line from uh, Captain Stephen Hiller at this point. Oh, no. D oh, no. Don't you shoot that green shit at me. <laughs> <laughs> and then we find out, too, that the smaller ships have shields also. Yep. Uh, the Marines are severely outgunned, so they get ordered. A uh, full retreat gets ordered. Uh, get them out of there. Get them out of there. Uh, Steven and his wingman Jimmy, they make their escape with the two alien ships following them. Uh, Jimmy wants to try something, even though they're going incredibly fast, and he just pulls back on the flight controls. And Jimmy, you can't bank at that speed. What what was he trying to do? I don't understand. I want to try something. Don't try none of that crazy shit. You know me. <laughs> and then he just totally blows it. Come on, man. It must have been a distraction factor, right? Yeah. He's sacrificing himself. For Steven, just in case Jasmine and Dylan are still alive. 
I mean, you've really got to make a leap there to get yeah. that from there, because otherwise it just looks like he's killing himself. Definitely. That's what. That's the way it felt to me. Like, yeah. I want to try something. What was his end game? Yeah, you can't bank at that speed. So was he literally trying to, like, pull a 360 and round out behind these ships? Because that just doesn't make any sense. Well, what he should have done then is pulled back on the throttle immediately and did his best Maverick and gotten behind right, the right. alien ship, right? Oh, yeah. That's what he should have done. They could have learned a few things from Maverick. That movie came out in 1986 so they watched it yeah they watched it obviously that's why they're doing what they're doing that's right because top gun exists in this universe yeah top gun exists in every universe yes that's like the one constant across all multiverses is the movie top gun exists in every one of them oh definitely (laughs) and one of the end scenes of this movie is very top gun-esque we'll we'll talk about that (laughs) uh jimmy almost passes out due to the g-forces so naturally he takes off his mask naturally his mask it's the only thing helping him not pass out yeah I can't breathe, so I'm going to (laughs) die. Yeah, and if we learned anything from Top Gun, we learned that if you take your mask off, you're totally washed Oh, you're washed. You're done. (laughs) You can't handle it anymore. (laughs) Jimmy gets taken out. Bye, Jimmy. See you, Jimmy. (laughs) So much for that cigar. So much for that cigar. Uh, The aliens are making a full-scale attack now on the military base. Lots of explosions, which I love. Just give me more explosions in a movie (laughs) like this. That's what I want is explosions. Uh, Steven, doing his best Star Wars now, heads down into a canyon and tries to lose the aliens. One crashes, and the and the other one he blinds with his airplane's emergency chute. Is that a thing? I mean, maybe. It was pretty cool. Yeah, it was cool. Like, do airplanes have emergency parachutes? I don't know. Would it, would would it, it help? At all? Maybe in a landing situation you could... Like- yeah slow you down a bit a bit but i, I, mean, I don't know i don't better know. than nothing maybe or it's... if anything it worked perfectly in this scenario so the movie can happen so the movie can happen <laughs> so after that parachute is deployed uh steven ejects from his plane narrowly escaping slamming into the canyon wall the alien ship doesn't fare as well and crash lands it kind of glances off of the top of that canyon yeah is this supposed to be the grand canyon there I... Like probably, probably right. Yeah. They're in Southern California, yeah. And if you're flying the speed of sound, you should be able to get from L.A. to the Grand Canyon area fairly quickly. Yeah, I'm sure that I don't know if there's any other large canyon systems in the Southwest. I'm sure there are. Yeah, but uh, I always kind of just was like, is this the Grand Canyon? I kind of felt like it was the Grand Seems Canyon. Like it. I don't know. It couldn't be the Grand Canyon, though. Or wait, no. It couldn't be, because he drags the alien in the parachute. After yeah, the yeah, yeah. It couldn't be the Grand Canyon. So right. Another canyon system of some kind. <laughs> uh, like I said, the alien ship doesn't fare very well on crash lands while Steven slams into the ground, breaking both of his legs after he's ejected from the plane. Definitely. That was quite the... Quite the drop. Quite the drop. On the first maybe first two watch throughs I did on this movie, I thought it was literally Will Smith. Like it was, it seemed like I just missed, there's a little tiny cut in there when he gets up from the ground. I just thought like, did they just like hoist Will Smith up like 10 feet and just drop him or something? But <laughs> yeah. it must've been a dummy of some kind because yeah. that was some leg breaking. <clears throat> uh, and we get some good lines now from Will Smith. Now he's going after that uh, alien ship. Look at your ship all banged up. Where are you at? <laughs> 
Steven opens up the alien ship. I had figured that it'd be kind of ill-advised to do. Like, that's not really, a, not really a good idea. No. <laughs> An alien pops up, and Steven punches the alien in the face. Welcome to Earth. <laughs> top, top five 90s line. Oh, definitely. Top five, top five. I love that he just decks him in the face. <laughs> and what we find out is, like, a biomechanical exoskeleton. Yeah. And he knocks the alien out? He knocks him out cold <laughs> somehow with that punch. Welcome to Earth. Maybe the alien was being smart enough to, like, fake being knocked out. That's actually really smart, and I actually think you're right. Maybe. They don't do a very good job of portraying that. They don't, but how else would he as easily get into there, you know? Right. Like, he is, is like, a recon mission for him to get in and figure out what the hell's going on. Yeah, I mean... That makes sense. That's... It's possible. That's the only thing that made sense to me in my mind, trying to justify... Certainly doesn't make sense that he knocked him unconscious with a punch to the exoskeleton. (laughs) A punch to the exoskeleton. (laughs) No. I know you're Will Smith, but come on. Uh, But it's time for uh, Stephen Hiller's victory dance, so he's going to have that cigar, and he says, now that's what I call a close encounter. That's a good line. Good line. Good line. Uh, Back in L.A. with Jasmine and Dylan, and looky, looky, I found a giant truck. Good yeah, job. where are the keys in the sun visor? Of Why course, wouldn't they be? And it's a movie from the '90s or the '80s, so it's in the sun visor. Yeah, because whoever was in that giant fire truck looking thing parked it and then took the keys out and threw them up in the visor. <laughs> I don't want anyone to come steal this. So I'm going to put them in my trusty hiding spot of the visor. So did people actually store their car keys in sun visors at some point, or I, is that I've just a... I've never seen that in person. No, it <laughs> no. just must be a like Hollywood convention, right? Definitely. Maybe somebody did that in like the 50s? Is there another movie you think of right away when you think of pulling keys out of the visor? I'll tell you what mine is. Terminator. Terminator. I think of uh, Son-in-Law with Polly oh, Shore yeah, and the yeah. tractor. Yeah. He's looking for the key. Yeah. Oh, man. man, that's I mean, we haven't run across one in a long time, and I'm kind of surprised we didn't run across one in this movie. But the obligatory Indiana Jones uh, moment. Yeah. We haven't had one of those in we a haven't. long time. I kind of thought that there might be one in this movie. Yeah. I couldn't remember, but there isn't. No, nope. but we got to keep track of that now, too. Yeah, How many do. keys and sun visors? <laughs> yeah. <Yep. laughs> Ding. We got one. Ding. <laughs> Uh, back in the desert with Russell and family, and everyone is packing up. Uh, there's an alien ship ship headed this way. I guess we should leave, too. Yeah, yeah I guess. <laughs> On Air Force One, David is airsick. Uh, it's Air Force One, for crying out loud. Look at me. I'm like a rock. Uh, it could be bad weather. It could be good weather. We could be going up. We could be going down. We could be going back. We could be going forth. And, Julius, you just made your kid vomit, <laughs> basically, <laughs> right? And you just made David vomit. Yeah. Uh, and that's enough for David to have to excuse himself to go Ralph. And Connie goes and sits in David's now empty seat, and Connie talks to Julius. Yep. And this is where we get some real backstory on David and Connie, and we find out that love was never the problem between David and Connie. Never. <laughs> love is all you need. John Lennon was a smart man <laughs> shot in the back very sad <laughs> the look on connie's face is like what the fuck dude like, what the hell <laughs> that's man? a weird thing to do <laughs> um the president and his remaining advisors are now ta- talking over all of their options nukes over american soil no way says president whitmore and david overhears this and gets really set off because you know he's a champion of the earth right yeah no no you're gonna kill all of us and you're gonna kill all of us at the same time nuclear winter it can't be allowed (laughs) it can't be allowed uh somebody get him out of here Oh, no, it's just, he says, somebody get him out of here. And then he gets told, shut up. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> Don't tell him to shut up. If it wasn't for my David, you'd all be dead. None of you did anything to prevent this. There was nothing they could do, though, apparently. Well, what about Roswell in the 50s, the spaceship? 
Area 51, you knew then and you did nothing. Uh, there's no Area 51. There are no recovered spaceships. Uh, Mr. President, that's not exactly true. <laughs> <laughs> what? Which part? <laughs> All of it. <laughs> All of it. All of it. Uh, back in L.A., and Jasmine is a one-woman wrecking crew and rescuing crew. Uh, Jasmine spots the first lady and stops the truck to rescue her. Uh, she's hurt pretty badly. Yeah. Pretty badly. Yeah. Uh, back with Steven in the desert hauling that alien he punched in the face in his parachute. This is supposed to be my weekend off. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you got me out here dragging your heavy ass through the burning desert with your dreadlocks sticking out the back of my parachute. <laughs> You got to come down here with an attitude, acting all big and bad. And what the hell is that smell? I could have been at a barbecue. Favorite line in the whole movie. Man, he I is... died laughing every time he does. And what the hell is that smell? I just every time he does that. I could have been at a barbecue. Was ad libbed. Nice. That is nice. all Will Smith. So Will was told in some of these scenes to not even look at look at the script and just do a bunch of takes and whatever comes to your mind just do it so they did like nine takes and each of one of them had a different line and so roland picked the best line from the three or four takes and combined them so all of those lines are from different takes nice. that they put together and that's why you don't like see steven actually saying those lines oh, you okay. just see them dragging an alien um Oh, there was the one line that was written was, that's what I call a close encounter. Oh, okay. so that was a, an intentional line sure. from a little bit earlier on. But all the lines leading up to that, that was all Will. Love it. Um, here come the RVs to rescue Steven. You need a lift soldier. I saw a base when I flew over. Well, it ain't on no map. Trust me, it's there. <laughs> um, back to Air Force One, landing at Area 51. Mr. President, welcome to Area 51. <laughs> they move 24 floors beneath the surface, which is a fairly secure location and is good for them for the future here. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, it's there, they're in the main research facility, and uh, Whitmore wants to see it. Uh, sorry, sir, it's a clean room. Open it. Open it. Open it. Uh, damn, it feels good to be a gangster. Because, I mean, he's the president, <laughs> he's so he, the gets, president. he gets to do whatever he wants. I really love Pullman a lot in the later stages of this movie. Like, I feel like he really comes into his character, especially from this point on. Oh, for sure. I, Pullman is the president? Yes, as yes. President Whitmore. I really love Bill Pullman in this movie a lot. Um, and after a stroll through a very white room, we meet Professor Oaken. And that's da uh, Data from Star Trek The Next Generation, if you were unaware. Nice. I'm a big fan of him. Very funny how they explain the funding for a facility like Area 51. You really think the government spends 50000 on a toilet seat? <laughs> and it's totally plausible that that's why that government overspending exists. Obviously. Like, I was like, oh my God, that's so smart. Like, that's the smartest thing ever. Yeah. So smart. Uh, you want to go see the big tamale? Is that a is that a real saying? It is now. Is that a real saying? The big tamale. <laughs> the big tamale. And bam, there it is. The ship from the Roswell crash, fifty years ago, but it's exactly the same as the present day ships. That's the thing I had the biggest problem with in the movie. It's the exact same. The exact same. Well, okay. Spoiler alert. I'm gonna get ahead of myself. That's fine. This is the start of me having the biggest problem in the movie. <laughs> the biggest problem then technically is when him and Goldblum take it out into space and it's just brought right in like it's normal. So not only has somehow nothing advanced in 50 years for an insanely advanced species compared to us somehow, but they also 
just confuse it for a regular ship again. Like, oh, must just be one of our ships. Must be one of our ships. No No big deal. So, yeah, that was really something I never paid attention to as a kid. Mm -hmm. But now it's like, that makes zero sense. In a movie that, granted, doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. But still. Right. The one way that you could maybe explain it away is the fact that interstellar travel takes a really, really long time. Yeah. So, yes, there's 50 years between when that Roswell ship landed and when the new ships are now in 1996 uh, at Earth. But because they could have left at a similar time. True. So maybe that's the, but it, it, there should be some more differences between them. Yeah. Like the shit. They should not be exactly the same. There right. should be some different. And like you said, when it does get pulled in, there should have been some red flags immediately. Yeah. But moving on. Moving on. Um, I do like, though, when we're in that room with the ship from Roswell that you get some really cool sweeping shots of the ship. It, it's yeah. our first time like up close and personal with one of those smaller ships. Yep. It looks really good, and I really like the way that they look. It's, you can almost like feel the texture that they have, you know? Yeah. Since the alien ships have returned, it's reactivated the one that is now in Area 51. Um, the aliens also bear a striking bear striking similarities in the way that our body processes work. So they're oxygen breathing. They have similar hot and cold temperatures. And then uh, Professor Oaken says, you guys want to see one? And then we get to go see the freak show. The freak show. I love that name. Uh, fairly disturbing for a 12-year-old watching this movie in 1996. Definitely. Fairly disturbing. I'm not going to lie. Probably gave me some nightmares between this and the X-Files, you know? Oh, for sure. <laughs> Uh, when they were found, they had biomechanical suits on. They were pried open by American scientists because that's, of course, what they would do. The aliens are surprisingly frail, no vocal cords, and probably communicate via telepathy. Telepathy or telepathy? Are you a telepathy or a telepathy Telepathy. Guy? Telepathy. Uh, the only problem is their tech. Their tech is far more advanced than ours. Yeah. So that's the big disparity between us and them. The president tasks David with helping the scientists at Area 51, and we'll all see if you are as smart as we hope you are. Thanks, President Whitmore. <laughs> yeah. Better get that big brain working, Stephen. Or not Stephen. Better get David. that big brain working, David. Next, we see the RV cavalry has arrived at Area 51, and they pull right up to that main little gate area. And he, uh, Captain Stephen Hiller stands up and goes, Captain Stephen Hiller, United States Marine Corps. Uh, I can't let you pass without any clearance, the security guard says. <laughs> you want to see my clearance? It's a slimy alien. It's a slimy alien. <laughs> um, Oaken, Professor Oaken, was very pumped to see a new alien. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, in the command center with a, uh, within Area 51, uh, the general is accosting the former CIA director and current Secretary of Defense, Albert Nimzicki. That's quite the name, Albert yeah, Nimzicki. Nimzicki. Uh, he could have saved millions of people if he would have shared his knowledge with everyone, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, definitely would not have sent as many soldiers to their death. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, enter Stephen Hiller and the president congratulates him on his success capturing the alien, but immediately Whitmore wants to go see the new alien that was captured. Uh, Hiller then goes to the general and tells him that he urgently wants to return to El Toro. Hasn't anyone told you? El Toro has been completely destroyed. Will can't quite get that tear out, though, can he, in that nope. scene? He's working on that tear. Come on, Will. Really needs a single tear <laughs> Come to roll on, down that cheek. Just whoop. And I also don't like that uh, the general doesn't even throw a hand on his shoulder or Nothing. anything after that. Just Didn't you hear? It's all destroyed. Later. Later. Like, <laughs> what the hell? 
Rough. <laughs> Next, we get to see Jasmine and her refugees, including the First Lady, arrive at El Toro, and it is definitely destroyed. Oh, yeah. Uh, they still go in and use... Uh, they still go in and use and gather any supplies they can. That's a pretty smart, very smart of them to go do. Definitely. Uh, Jasmine and the First Lady have a little one-on-one. The First Lady asks, is that your son? Was his dad stationed here? Uh, not his dad, but I, I had hoped that he would want the job. Uh, and then the First Lady asks her, what do you do? She says, I'm a dancer. Oh, ballet? <laughs> <laughs> Long pause. Exotic. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> And she says, don't be. The money's good and Dylan's worth it. Changing the subject now. Dylan, come here and meet the first lady. (laughs) I didn't know that you had recognized me. And Jasmine didn't want to say anything because she had voted for the other guy, a.k.a. she's probably not a very big fan. (laughs) A.k.a. not a big fan. Not a big fan, but... funny if when the first lady said, is that your child? No, no, I found him. (laughs) (laughs) Who, that kid? I I don't know who that kid is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Apparently that's Dylan. I don't, I don't know who that is. I'm back at Area 51 in something that looks straight out of like Alien to- Alien Autopsy. Did you ever watch that special on Fox? Uh-uh. And I remember it being like a really big deal, them claiming they had a real Alien Autopsy. It was the fakest thing you could ever see. Sure. Go to YouTube, everybody. Search Fox's Alien Autopsy. You will laugh. You will gut laugh at nice. how bad it was. And they tried to portray it as like real. They tried to. Oh, my. It was it was bad. <laughs> uh, Oaken says, uh, give me that doohickey. Let's stick it in there and spread it. <laughs> <laughs> the head busts open and scares the shit out of everyone, including me, every time I watch this movie. Literally every time. Every time. I just had the soundbar blasted the first time and somehow did not remember <laughs> that. I always think, think it's funny that they already have the pre-slit spot yeah, there, and yeah. then he needs the knife. But, yeah, I definitely <laughs> forgot about that the first time. I'm like, oh, Jesus. Uh, Oaken's line, uh, now here comes the really icky part. <laughs> it's very smelly, but finally they get down to the actual alien and they think it may be dead. Definitely not dead. Definitely not dead. <laughs> uh, its hand is, its hand is moving. You know who that dude is, right? Bug cocoon. Bug cocoon guy. It's the bug cocoon. Bug cocoon. Bug cocoon. Another thread in this Another button. thread. Another Go thread watch in. Silence of the Lambs and Silence. then listen to our episode. Bug cocoon. <clears throat> the alien initiates a telepathic siren of some kind, right? And uh, incapacitating Oaken and sending the whole room into a tizzy. But really affecting him more than anyone. Doesn't I, it seem like he's like, the one who's getting it the hardest? Somehow? I feel like it was directed oh, at okay. him. And I suppose they have like telepathy or yeah. something we're assuming so he can target that. So. I would I would assume. So I that's suppose. the way it seemed at least. Uh, tubes are flying. Tentacles are whipping. And that alien stands up and that is pretty scary. Oh, dude, that is super scary. Scary. It is really scary. It really is. It's, it's like, like he's a dude in a mech suit, yeah, basically. Yeah. There's something super unsettling about the fact that it's like open and that he's like in there moving around and stuff. Yeah. It's just very unsettling. With the creepy ass tentacle finger hands. Right. And, yeah. Right. Bugacoon dude is dead. And he's so dead. is everyone else, presumably. Yeah. <laughs> not Oaken, though. At least not yet. Not yet. Uh, President Whitmore and crew finally make it down to the freak show and sees that the lab is in has been torn asunder. You know, like yeah. they're like, uh, what is going on? Oaken gets smashed up against the glass and the the is obviously not himself. Yeah, obviously. obviously. Release me. Open the door and get him out. <laughs> like what? What an idiot, Come on, what an idiot. dude. <laughs> Wait a second. There's something wrapped around his neck that's very obvious. No, no, no. no. Get him out. 
Uh, the president does try to reason with that beast. Can we have peace? No peace. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want us to do? Duh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, straight to the point. I like All it. All right. <laughs> uh, the alien tries the same mind control trick on he did on Oaken on Whitmore to less of an effect. He just kind of Whitmore just kind of falls over and stuff. Maybe it's because it's through the glass. I guess you'd think that it would have had the same exact effect, but definitely. And then is this glass bulletproof? No, sir. No, sir. And so they just all start a blasting. Start blasting. <laughs> just start blasting. You would think that that glass would be more than bulletproof. More than bulletproof. Right? Definitely. They're acting like this is the most contained, clean area ever. We're down 24 floors, but yeah, we got the cheapest glass guy we could find in here. Okay. Just, just throw up some curtains next time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't really need the glass. Uh, the alien comically does fly across the room after it gets shot by oh, some yeah. handguns, which I, I laughed at, but great. Uh, yeah. Sure. Why sure. Not? <laughs> take that exoskeleton. Yeah, take that. Uh, the president saw uh, what they were planning and uh, what they're going to do, basically. And uh, he says they're just like locusts. They go somewhere and consume all the resources and then they move on to the next planet. Uh, bullet to that alien brain to finish the job. Uh, and then uh, the president says nuke him. Let's nuke the bastards. Yeah. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Finally get the nukes into play. Uh, David takes this uh, takes the potential nuclear annihilation of mankind very poorly. And to top it off, there's no ice for his drink. Poor guy. Oof. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> uh, David and Connie give us uh, their relationship post-mortem in this scene now. They basically talk about why they broke up for yep, us, for yep. the audience. Uh, David thinks she left him for Whitmore when he was... Uh, uh, when it was more of an unbelievable opportunity for her to do something special with her life. You know, she wasn't leaving David to go be with President Whitmore. No. She was leaving David because it's a crazy good opportunity for her to, like, have an awesome career. Right. right? And David didn't like that. He didn't like that. I mean, because he rides a bike. Yeah. So he... he's never going to see her. <laughs> I, I mean, guess. That's got to be what it is. <laughs> clearly. Uh, Connie asks him, don't you want to be part of something special? And David just slams that bottle of booze oh, yeah. down. I was a part of something special. That hits deep. That does hit deep. <laughs> uh, she never stopped loving him, but it just wasn't enough for her to stay. No. Nope. I mean, they probably should have gotten a divorce if she's not willing to stay with her husband. Yeah. If he's not willing to go with her. Right, like, right. They probably should have gotten a divorce. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> uh, Stephen Hiller is now going to borrow a helicopter. Are you really going to shoot me? He says to that guard. Yeah. <laughs> Just tell him I hit you. Dude's like, what? <laughs> what? Because he was a very strapping man. Yeah, he was. <laughs> uh, next, we get to see that the nukes are on their way. Mr. President, do you want to deploy? Houston's toast. Houston's toast. <laughs> Houston, deploy. That's all he says. Deploy. And then they do it. <laughs> uh, would there really be some sort of an armored vehicle sent into the blast zone to observe the explosion and the results of it? Absolutely not. I mean, is that a real thing that would be done? I mean, maybe, but I don't see it happening. I don't see that because unless that vehicle has got like... Feet feet thick worth of lead and yeah. stuff around the outside of it. Those dudes would have been like irradiated. Yeah, just dead. Definitely, that's what I, I think. Because they're well within like well within a few miles. Yeah, well within a few miles. 
whatever. Uh, Nimziki is very pumped about them. <laughs> about them. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah we nuked them. <laughs> but they need visual confirmation. And the target remains. Yeah. The target remains. That was some serious DBZ shit. Like <laughs> yes, it all was. the casuals like, oh, we won the battle yeah. after one yeah. strike. And then, nope, Goku and Vegeta are just waiting to see him <laughs> clear from the dust. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, Whitmore wisely decides to recall uh, the rest of the bombers, even though others in the room think that uh, they should just pres- uh, they should just keep on slinging nukes. Like, just keep <laughs> on nuking them. Who cares? Keep them. Just keep nuking them. Uh, Jasmine and Hiller are reunited at the rubble of El Toro because he got that helicopter over there. That's a good reunion. Yeah, it's a feel good moment in yeah. a long stretch of not feel good moments. Yeah. So, see, I told you everything was gonna be okay. <laughs> we needed that as an audience. Yeah, we, we did, did need that as an audience. Um, everyone gets rescued, including the dying first lady. So that's really good. Oh, spoiler alert! Dying first lady. <laughs> they can't stop the internal bleeding. Total sad eyes for this Ooh, part of the movie, right? Yeah. It seems fairly implausible, but uh, the doctors think that you're going to be just fine. And he calls, she calls him a liar because it's a lie. Yep. And bam, she's dead. Bam, uh, she's dead. <laughs> is mommy sleeping now? Yeah, mommy's sleeping. Ooh. Jesus Cristo. <laughs> like, <laughs> that chokes me up every time. Yeah, like, for sure. It seems, I don't know, it seems weird that they couldn't stop the bleeding. Like, I don't... I want to know what kind of injury that is where you slowly bleed out over like 24 hours. Yeah. Like you just like had shrapnel inside you for may- too long. Maybe. I don't can do I it. don't know how that works really. Like maybe like if I don't know. I don't I don't know how that works. Yeah. I don't know. If you're out there doctors, email us. <laughs> Yeah, this little girl is adorable. Yes. She's in Friends. I yep. haven't mentioned something like that in a while. She is in the Girl Scout episode where Ross breaks her leg and then has to sell Girl Scout cookies for her to try to win a competition to go to Space Camp. Oh, nice. And then older, she's in uh, Scott Pilgrim versus. Yes, Will. yes. Uh, when I was doing my research, I did see some pictures of her when she was older. I'm like, oh, it's that chick. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, now it's July 4th. And David is drunk, wrecking up the place. (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness for Julius, though. He talks some sense into David. Uh, Sometimes we have to remember what we still have. And David's like, like what? I mean, (laughs) there's not much here. Uh, You still have your health. Now get off this freezing cold concrete floor before you catch a cold. And there you have it. Julius saves the day. Yep. It's a computer virus to the rescue. Thanks, Julius. Um, Hiller and the fam are at Area 51. And David's demonstration of how he can disable the shields. Yep. You got a gun? Fire it in, fire it in this contained space and potentially kill any one of us. I mean, yeah. that's such a weird thing for them to do. Uh, David does a little typey-typey on his computer and tells the Major to do it again. So, again, fire that gun a second time and potentially kill any one of us in this room. Um, and he does it this time, hitting the can. How did you do that? I gave it a cold. Gave it a cold. Gave it a cold. Um, if they can infect the mothership, they can infect them all. It just takes uh, someone flying up there to do it. And then I love, uh, I love how David is like uh, to take them out, uh, to take them down, to do your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot. Uh, the criticize they do get he, his plan does get criticized a little bit, and, and Nimziki wants to know. So you want to to take minutes like it'll be minutes to mount a coordinated global attack like yeah. that seems 
impossible, right? Yes. Uh, Steven thinks that he can fly the spaceship up to the mothership and deliver the payload. Uh, I've seen what they can do, so automatically I'm an expert. Damn right. <laughs> will the ship fly? Yep, it will. Yep. <laughs> Let's do it. Thanks, President Whitmore. Uh, next, the president fires that sniveling little weasel Nimzeki. I imagine cheers in the theater during this scene. Oh, for sure. Right? Yeah! Yeah. Fire that that guy. (laughs) Uh, Let's organize every plane we can find and get us some goddamn pilots to fly them. I do enjoy how uh, Nimziki says, uh, he can't fire me. He can't do that. Well, he just did. He just did. Uh, and now the world is pulling together to mount this attack. The Danes, the Brits, and even the Iraqis, nice. which was a big deal in 1996 because the Gulf War had just ended a few years before this. Yeah. Gulf War point, point 1.0, 1.0. Uh, a message come acro- comes across the wire in old Morse code because they can't, the aliens can't. Can't decipher Morse code, I guess. Nope. They can't, they can't do it. It's the Americans. They want to organize a counteroffensive. It's about bloody time. What do they want to do? It's weird that, like, they portray the rest of the world as looking up to America in this scene. Yeah. It's weird to me. It made me think of America uh, uh, World Police. The, yeah. You know, what was America World Police? What was that? Team America. Team America World Police. That's right. Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the world is behind the American plan, but they're running short on pilots, so they get on that old bullhorn out at Area 51 and start asking for pilots in a drunken rustle to the rescue. I'm a fly. I'm, I'm a, a fly. I'm a, I'm a pilot. <laughs> <laughs> Just feed the guy some coffee. It's strong. Keep it coming. That's all he needs, That's I guess. That's all he He's needs. Uh, Russell takes this opportunity to tell everyone about his abduction and still no one seems to believe him. They look at him like he's crazy and like, yeah. roll, like look at this dumbass. He thinks he was abducted by aliens. Like, what aliens? <laughs> it's just so weird. I mean, obviously the, the aliens have been here since the 1950s and yeah. these people are like, there's no way. There's it's just, no it's way. Just like, weird. It's just you should weird. be bowing down to this guy now. <laughs> exactly. Like any information you have that can save us. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Steven and David uh, get a briefing on the nuke attached to their spaceship. They'll have 30 seconds to get out of Dodge before it explodes. It will not explode on impact, which is a smart thing to do if you want to get out of there. Yeah. <laughs> they also strapped a wang on the underside of that that underside of that spaceship that doubles as the strongest transmitter available. Yeah. All right. Great. Great. Uh, <laughs> uh, Connie's got to know, though. Why you, David? David, why do you have to do it? Well, he's the only one that can do it, I guess. What if yeah. something happens? Yeah, he's the only one that can do it. Right. And it's his shot to save the planet. He always wants to save the planet. This is his chance. Uh, Jasmine and Steven get married and David and Connie sort of get remarried. How sweet. How sweet. How sweet. And that dumb fucking dolphin ring. And when they (laughs) that dumb fucking dolphin ring, when they come in as the witnesses for the marriage and like, sorry, we got held up. Are we assuming in conversation or did they get a little rowdy? I think they got rowdy. I think so. I didn't. I didn't think of that. I think they got rowdy. I think they got a little rowdy. I think they got rowdy. I wish I. I don't want to see Connie nude. I want to see. I want to see. I want to see me some Goldblum nude. <laughs> Give me some Goldblum, man. Come on, Jeff. I want to see that that rippling chest. That rippling <laughs> chest. But now we get the speech. The speech. Uh, Bill Pullman delivers one of movie history's most iconic speeches, right? It's, oh, it's for, way up it's there. It's super good. It's way up it's there. It's super good. Uh, Dean Devlin wrote that speech. Nice. 
but Devlin didn't think it was going to work. Uh, Devlin was told to just write something for now. It'll be temporary and we'll work on it and we'll get to it later. Uh, so he did and he never reread it. So he just wrote this speech as a placeholder and sent it out there. Uh, that scene was shot really late at night and Pullman thought this is good. It really feels like we need to get everybody roused up a little bit and get everybody ready to fight. So he was saying like, because they were already there at like two o'clock in the morning, like he really felt like I can really try to get these people actually going because yeah. everybody's really tired and wants to go to bed and all that stuff. Uh, Devlin was in the production office when the, when he was told that they were about to start shooting the president's speech and he panicked. He literally thought, Oh my God, I never rewrote the speech. (laughs) (laughs) What are they doing? So he came running down to the set to work on the speech. And as he got there, Pullman was rehearsing and all the extras were freaking out when he did the speech. And Devlin was like, Oh my God, this is great. (laughs) Awesome. Ultimately, Devlin loved the speech and the way Pullman performed it. Um, he thinks it was a very, I think it was very amazing and very Hollywood and I wouldn't want it any other way. No. Personally, I wouldn't want it any other way. Um, Pullman actually prepared for this speech by listening to a collection of CDs called the 100 greatest speeches. Nice. (laughs) All right. (laughs) And he said that he took direct, he pulled directly from, uh, RFK. So Robert Kennedy's speech after, um, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. So that okay. was like his inspiration for his tone in his speech. Sure. That's a, I, wow, all right. <laughs> so now after that speech, he has roused everybody up and even the president is going to join the fight. He says, I'm a combat pilot. I belong in the air. Uh, Stephen and David say their goodbyes. Uh, it's a great moment between David and Julius. Julius saying, yep. I'm very proud of you. Stephen and Jasmine say their I love yous, which of course they should. Yep. And Julius saves the day one last time by having the cigars. Yeah. Thank goodness for Julius in this movie. He's come through many times. Uh, I almost put a hex on the whole damn thing. Um, everyone's getting ready for the offensive now, and David opens up his computer, and the HAL 9000 greets him. So that's from 2001 Space Odyssey, which nice. is pretty cool. Uh, Russell almost launches his missile while sitting on the tarmac. <laughs> I picked a hell of a day to quit drinking. And that is an airplane reference to Lloyd Bridges as Steve McCroskey. Nice. Uh, in that movie, he quit many things. So he'd say, I picked a hell of a day to quit smoking. I picked a hell of a day to quit drinking. I picked a hell of a day to quit amphetamines. <laughs> I picked a hell of a day to quit sniffing glue. Oh, so Charlie uh, Day shit right there. <laughs> right. Um, his kids, uh, Russell's kids, are very proud of him, though. Uh, time to lo- uh, time to launch for Steve and Dave there. Head on up to space, please. Uh, the controls happen to be incorrect, and they smash into the wall behind them. Oops. <laughs> what do you mean, oops? <laughs> Steven flips those instructions around, and the second time does not fail. Uh, what do you say? We try that one again. Yes, yes, without the oops this time. <laughs> <laughs> and off they go. Um, I have got to get me one of these. <laughs> uh, that is a great line also. Yeah. Is that the origin of the phrase? I want to say yes. Like, of people it, use it. Could it be. Yeah. I want to say that that is the origin of the phrase, yeah, I have got to. Give me one of these. Right? People yeah. use that in their daily lexicon, right? Oh, definitely. I got to say that's the origin of the phrase. Uh, the aliens are headed now straight for Area 51 because they kind of figured out the secret. That's where the humans are basing their main operation out of. Uh, David and Steven make great time and already at that mothership. Yep. Uh, the mothership takes control and brings them in. Uh, when were you going to tell me about this? Steve wants to know. And David says, oops. Oops. <laughs> we are going to have to work on our communication. <laughs> uh, Will Smith really played the angry 
hard a lot with his character, uh, Captain Stephen Hiller, don't you think? Yeah. He did. That's all right, though. Very stressful situation. <laughs> Aliens are invading Earth. <laughs> uh, Connie has all the people brought inside of Area 51 for their safety. And uh, David and Stephen have entered the alien mothership. So very cool. Oh, yeah. It's very Borgish from Star Trek The Next Generation. It just... Um, it just reminded me of the way the Borg look, and I, I don't know if that was intentional or not. It might have just been kind of like the style of the time in that mid to late 90s, green and space and foggy, right? Yeah, That's kind of yeah. what that was. <laughs> we get some real scope on how big that mothership actually is, and there's millions of aliens preparing for the invasion. Like, their whole species is in that mothership. Yeah. That's their whole species. Yeah. Uh, David and Steven have reached their destination, though. Um, power windows to hide the two of them. It's time to upload that virus. Uh, some of the more believable computer action in a 90s movie. I already, sta- I already said that, but all that seemed like very believable. Oh, yeah. It wasn't wacky. It wasn't, I'm a hacker. Right. I'm a hacker. <laughs> oh, it's a Unix system. <laughs> it's a said, Unix system. Nobody the said that. The easiest thing in the world. <laughs> and that fast upload time to boot, right? Yeah. I totally expected that to take way longer than it did. Way longer. You would think that it would be way longer. Um, with that virus delivered, the fighter jets can engage the alien ship first unsuccessfully, but Whitmore wants another shot. Success. Success. It worked. And the fight is on. Fire at will. Fire at will. Fire at will. So they do. They do. <laughs> with the virus uploaded, it's time for Dave and Steve to split. One problem, though, they're kind of locked into that dock of some kind. They got uh, nowhere to go. They're not going anywhere. The aliens know something is up at this point, and they're going to open up those power windows. Uh, Area 51 gets full-on attacked. They run inside and take the elevator. It seems like that's a recipe for disaster and death. Definitely. There had to be some stairs, I would think, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Back to Steve and Dave, and they have been exposed. Shit. Hide. (laughs) (laughs) I love how low tech it gets at the end. They're just like, hide, just just hide, just hide. (laughs) Uh, The planes are landing missile after missile now, but they just aren't doing enough damage. The alien ship has settled directly over Area 51 and has started its primary weapon. Um, the clock is ticking now and they have to stop the ship before it fires. I mean, obviously, obviously sh- stop the ship before it fires. Uh, the president takes his shot with one of, with his last missile. He's got tone, but the missile misses. Yes. Um, all the missiles have been fired. Doesn't anyone have any missiles left? Russell does. Russell does. Russell does. Uh, the president leads him with, uh, within firing range. Uh, but of course, Russell's missile malfunctions. Obviously. It won't fire. Damn it. Uh, so there's only one more option. Do me a favor. Tell my children I love them very much. You deliver this line, please. I'm back. <laughs> Another top five 90s. All five of the top five lines from the 90s are in this movie. Boom. <laughs> All five of them. You heard it here first. <laughs> Russell does it. And that son of a bitch did it. Son of a bitch did it. <laughs> Great explosions. Great explosions. Great explosions. Great explosions. So I said right before we started recording that I remembered something wrong and you were wondering is this what you thought did you what did you think so were you misremembering that he flies his crop duster into the no okay i want to know what you i did. was misremembering that whitmore was the one who did oh. this for whatever reason i thought he was the one who sacrificed himself at the end interesting and I mean, he has a daughter, so it doesn't make as much sense. But his wife did just die, so then yeah. and then when Russell comes, out, oh yeah, that's right, it was Russell. It was Russell. Did. I'm so much happier that it was Russell. 
because Whitmore's awesome. Whitmore I, is I, awesome. I did not. I really like when he takes initiative and goes up in the ships and he clears the way for Russell to do this. So yeah, I'm glad it wasn't him. I'm glad I was wrong. Pullman should reprise his role. As president of the United States of America. He needs to. He should just run for president. I think I'd vote for him. He really should. (laughs) Have you ever watched the show The Sinner? Uh, No. Okay, he's the main character in that movie. Or not movie, it's a show. But uh, he's a detective, and he's the recurring character. You should watch that on Netflix. I'm going to have to now. Uh, there is a little bit of an Easter egg when Randy Quaid flies his jet into the into the mothership. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the tip of his plane touches the laser cannon uh, that's coming out of the alien city destroyer, uh, they reused the Empire State Building explosion in this scene. Oh, okay. So they because uh, the Empire State Building blew up from the top to the bottom. Yep. So they took that exact shot, inverted it, and had it so it blew up from the bottom. Oh, okay. now is the bottom to the top. You know? Sure, sure. Uh, and so that's that's how they reused it. They layered it over the canyon, cannon and reused it. Nice. Uh, with the release date approaching, Emmerich and his team uh, learned from test screenings that the final battle had some big problems, apparently. When they tested it, it tested through the roof. Like it got a 90% or 90 points, whatever that means. Yeah. <laughs> uh, people said the only thing we don't like was the crazy guy, Randy Quaid's Russell Case, uh, flying his crop duster with a bomb roped to his plane that's unrealistic not the fact that they're fighting aliens right and that was unrealistic so originally that's what it was supposed to be he was oh supposed gosh. to show up in his crop duster with a bomb strapped to it oh my gosh <laughs> that was the original so as in his he wasn't even gonna be there as i'm a pilot and be in one of those ships he was just gonna show up in the craft he was just gonna show up it was supposed to be like a dr strange love moment where he's oh supposed gosh. to be like woo, you know and all that type of stuff uh so they were when they were watching it when devlin and uh um Emmerich were watching this movie with an audience when russell showed up in that plane there was a really big laugh and Devlin turned, or Russell, excuse me, Roland turned to Devlin and said, uh, that's not a good laugh. We don't want people laughing at this yeah. poor part of the movie. Uh, so they wanted to reshoot it. The studio couldn't understand why they wanted to reshoot it because the movie was testing as high as it was in the low 90s. Uh, Emmerich and Devlin said, we know it's not the right laugh in this point in the movie. Like, you should not be laughing. Yeah. And so it was a one-day reshoot. Uh, They talked them into spending the money, the studio into spending the money, and they ended up with a 98. So they added the story for Russell where he ends up being recruited as a pilot. That was all a reshoot. Okay. And comes back. They also upped his story about being an alcoholic father who is searching for redemption. So all of that stuff was a reshoot. Sure. After the movie. So when they're like, let's clear a path for him. Originally, they're clearing a path for the biplane for his crop dust. Oh, okay. And that's why you never like like all the it's all close-ups of Russell and right. you never see like an outside shot of him cuz of it's him all... actually behind them. Yeah, you yeah. see Whitmore and the other two yeah. in a trio, you yeah. know, going to clear it, but you don't actually see how far away. Next Russell's. time you next time you watch that movie, remember that the last 10 minutes are all Randy Quaid stuff is reshot and it's super glaring and super obvious. That's crazy. It's super glaring and obvious. Um, any way you look at it though, uh, he is, he ends up being the hero by default, right? Yeah. Because he killed the aliens. Yeah. <laughs> way to go. It's kind of weird because you never really like him. No. You never really do like him. And he's not in the story a ton. Right. He's in the story. He does play a part in the story, but he's not in the movie a lot. And no. he's the hero. Pretty he's crazy. The, he's the hero of the movie. Pretty crazy. He's the hero. I, I mean, 
if he's not the hero, who's the hero? There really isn't one. That's the problem. Well, yeah, because... The American spirit? (laughs) I'm, like, reaching with, you know, uh, Hiller and David. You could argue that they are the hero. They make it possible. But still, if he doesn't come in and do what he does with the ship, Someone has to do that, and if nobody does that, there's no hero because they don't win. And they never figure out that that's the way to take the ships out. Right. Because that's how they figure it out, and they tell everybody that's what you got to do. Maybe not necessarily fly an airplane into it, but... So, I think by default, that makes Russell the hero of the movie. That does. Okay, we'll go with it. We'll go with it. (laughs) Now they know how to take him out, so spread the word. David and Steven seem pretty SOL at this point, don't you think? Like, they're hiding in the ship. They got nothing to do. They can't do anything, so. Haler asks him, so what do you think? And David says, checkmate. (laughs) So it's cigar time, because the mission is over. (laughs) Goldblum is not a cigar smoker, so... After the many takes of them smoking uh, the cigars, uh, the assistant director, who was a cigar smoker, would actually like get the stogie going and then hand it off to Goldblum. Sure. (laughs) And then Goldblum would start smoking it. (laughs) He said that it literally would like make him sick. And I understand that because cigars are pretty gross. Yeah. (laughs) So there's only one thing left to do. Launch the nuke. Launch it. That's all they can do. That's all Steven and David can do. So they stand and they wave. Goodbye. (laughs) Here we go. Uh, The launch and the destruction resulting from the launch manages to knock them free. Great. Great. Can you get us out of here in 30 seconds? I ain't heard no fat lady. (laughs) Forget the fat lady. You're obsessed with the fat lady. (laughs) It's a very funny line from uh, David. Uh, The duo do escape. It's some good old fashioned narrow escape, which I uh, uh, appreciate. And the must go faster, must go faster, must go faster is directly lifted from Jurassic Park. Nice. Devlin asked Goldblum to do it. Nice. He's like, I want you to do it because there's already a lot of Easter eggs in this movie making other references. And Goldblum said that he didn't want to do it. But he eventually was like, okay. And he has never gotten confirmation from Spielberg, but he's always like, I hope Steven Spielberg is okay with me doing that. Right, right. But I think it's cool. I love when movies relate to each other, so I enjoy that. And that escape scene is probably, for me, the most iconic remembered part of the movie when I watched through it. Just that narrow, tiny little thing that he makes it out of there. And they go shooting out of there. Shooting out of there. I love that. Uh, David and Steven, uh, hopefully, we don't know for sure, hopefully are going to ride that shockwave back to Earth. They do. They, they do. They do. Uh, everyone around the world rejoices at the destruction of the alien fleet. Um, the president makes it back to screaming fans. He's like a rock star, right? Oh, They're yeah. all like, yeah! yeah! You're not a pussy anymore. <laughs> yeah, I don't I, We love you now. We more love than, you now. You're the president forever. <laughs> Uh, But what about David and Steven? It's been 20 minutes since we made contact last. But wait, just that moment, there's some beeping in the background of the scene. And it's them. It's them. (laughs) Of course it's them. Off to give them a hero's welcome. Uh, Connie's there. Jasmine's there. I smell a four-way. I smell a serious (laughs) four-way, especially when they're walking at us all Top Gun style (laughs) in those suits. Oh, yeah. That's some... Jeff Goldblum looking good in that scene. I didn't think it was possible for anybody to have more swagger than Will Smith. Yeah. But Goldblum potentially has more swagger. He definitely does. Yeah. Like he is. I'm like, dang, Will Smith, you look awesome. Jeff Goldblum, I love you. I love you. 
Yeah, that is a very, very cool scene. Very, very cool scene. And makes it even better with how much we love Top Gun. Yes, but. yes. All that stuff, it, there, it, emo- not emotionally, like, in the images of this movie, there's some very heavy ties to Top Gun. Oh, definitely. And because of the way that uh, Emmerich and uh, Devlin wrote this movie with lots of Easter eggs in mind, that's got to be intentional, right? Oh, for sure. To pull from a movie like Top Gun, to make it look like Top Gun. Although the aerial sequences in Top Gun blow this movie out of the water. Insanely. Insanely. It's kind of crazy to think that that's 10 years before this. Right, But I wouldn't say this movie needed it as much. No, it didn't. But you definitely, if you think any of this was remotely cool, you need to go back and watch Top Gun because that is the bomb. And then go listen to our episode on it. Yeah. (laughs) You definitely do that second part. (laughs) Definitely do the second part. Uh, The president congratulates Stephen and then reluctantly, uh, at first, he does congratulate David too. Then Whitmore gives David that uh, you're you're an all right guy look at the end, and (laughs) you're an all right guy. Bury the hatchet. I'd hope that he thinks he's an all right guy. He just helped save the world. Not bad. (laughs) Not bad. Not bad at all. He says, (laughs) but still, really doesn't want to give him that much credit. Not bad, David. I still hate your guts. Still hate your guts, and I never slept with your wife. I think they may have, they probably bumped uglies at least once. Uh, Maybe once after that whole divorce scenario. Yeah, who knows. Uh, Happy Fourth of July, Daddy. What a sweet line from that little girl. (laughs) They all bask in the sight of the downed spaceship and the pieces of the mothership streaking across the sky. Roll credits. Roll credits. Uh, Quickly here, do you want to hear about uh, how. Emmerich and uh, Delvin watch this movie with Bill and Hillary Clinton. Yes, I do. <laughs> so Emmerich, Delvin, and Pullman received a surprising invitation. Uh, Devlin and Emmerich were in the middle of doing a press junket in New York for the movie when the phone rang and in Devlin's room. He picked it up and they said, uh, could you hold for the White House, please? And he said, what? <laughs> and they said, the president would like to screen the movie tonight. How would you like to get a phone call from the president and be like, I want to watch your movie with you tonight. Let's do it. <laughs> if it was this happening, I'd be like, hell yeah. If it was right now, I'd be like, I don't really watch movies with 80-year-olds. <laughs> it's true. It's very, very true. Because he'd be, he'd want the volume way too loud. He'd want the volume way too And I listen to the volume pretty loud, yeah, but yeah. still. <laughs> so... It turns out that they were all standing in the middle of the White House, and Bill Clinton was chatting them up. Uh, the White House has uh, apparently uh, one of the worst screening rooms ever. It was a former bowling alley turned uh-uh. into a screening room. Uh, in the front row was Hillary and Bill, and Bill has the largest tub of popcorn ever, apparently, is what uh, Emmerich said. So I want to see how big that tub yeah, of popcorn the is. presidential size. <laughs> yeah. Unlimited refills. <laughs> All three of them, so Pullman, uh, Devlin, and Emmerich, were all in the back row standing up because they were too nervous to go sit by the president and first lady. I can understand that. Yeah. Uh, Clinton waved to Roland to come sit down next to him, and Roland was like, I'm a German. I can't I can't go do that. I'm German. <laughs> and Pullman was like, that's weak. That is weak. <laughs> You're the director. You need to go up there. <laughs> and Dean wrote the speech, but uh, neither of them would go sit between the Clintons, so Pullman went up there and took the seat sandwiched in between Bill and Hillary. So can you imagine that? Bill Clinton, uh, Pullman, and Hillary Clinton sitting next to each other in the front row of a movie theater. So awesome. <laughs> so, so awesome and so weird. Uh, Pullman said that it was a little nerve-wracking. I can understand that. 
when they got to the moment uh, when the White House blows up, Emmerich and Devlin were looking at each other thinking, we're in the White House watching it blow up. <laughs> that has to be pretty surreal. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> at the very end, Hillary leaned over to Pullman and said, you were really great. And if we ever need to step away for a weekend, we know who to call. <laughs> uh, Bill wanted to give Pullman a tour of the of the White House after the screening. So they ducked out after the movie and Pullman got a personal tour of the White House from Bill Clinton. How interesting, right? That's pretty sick. That's pretty dang cool. That's pretty cool. That's pretty dang cool. So, Trav, final opinions. Give them to me. Damn, such a good movie. It really is. Dare we say iconic. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But yeah, Will Smith at peak Will Smith. Pullman is super awesome. Give me all the the Jeff Goldblum. I'm loving (laughs) all the Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, it's, it's definitely awesome. This was like my aircraft movie that i thought was badass when i was a kid but now it's been completely surpassed (laughs) by top gun but uh what do you think drew um yeah this movie just really makes me think of being a 12 year old watching movies in the 90s and how much this movie was just on perpetual repeat uh growing up it was just something you grabbed off the shelf you threw it in the vcr and you watched it all the time and i'm assuming it played every year around fourth of july on repeat i would have i would have to assume i would assume i would assume so i it's I I would bet it's on TV probably still still yeah I mean it's called Independence Day for God's sake right <laughs> right take your shot <laughs> take your shot but yeah I absolutely loved it I couldn't have uh, wanted anything more from this movie um, its hokiness is outshined by its like legit awesomeness yeah anything definitely. that is a little bit like mm, that looks stupid or mm, I don't like that it's like the rest of everything else makes up for it definitely it's everything you want out of an alien movie it's everything that Mars Attacks wanted to be that isn't agreed I mean what if you took Independence Day and put a harder comedy spin on it you'd get a movie like Mars Attacks but 10 times better but than 10 Mars. times better definitely right? yeah right, yeah so. what the hell is that smile <laughs> <laughs> yeah that line alone was funnier than almost anything anything in in mars Mars attacks Attacks. agreed but i really liked it and i can't wait to watch this movie again oh definitely do you have anything else you'd like to talk about uh trav let's get into that homework assignment let's do it so we are gonna revisit dragon ball z the saiyan saga because like we said it is the summer of dragon ball summer of dragon ball z Uh, This time we're doing episodes 7 through 12. Episode 7 is called Day 1. Episode 8 is Gohan. Gohan goes bananas. I know what's going to happen in that episode. (laughs) (laughs) Episode 9 is called The Strangest Robot. Episode 10 is called A New Friend. Episode 11 is called Terror on Arilla. Episode 12 is Global Training. Are you excited to get back to DBZ? Uh, Definitely. Yeah, me too. And a few things that we talked about last time. So Arlia. Terror on Arlia. That's that weird hue colored mm, Vegeta. Mm, mm, mm. And I made the comment that people I've seen, oh, it's the planet. No, I kept watching and he still looks like that off off of that planet. Weird. So it's literally once he's on Earth finally that they decided to change. Well, we might have to look into that by the time we get to Vegeta mm. in the show to figure out what was going on there because it doesn't really make any sense. And I said the first episode I've seen was Gohan turning into a great ape and that is in this one yeah. so it was the eighth episode so okay so i didn't miss much by the time i'd seen the first no, episode you didn't 
Yeah, Gohan goes bananas. He's definitely turning into an ape. Definitely turning <laughs> into an ape. But yeah, I'm I'm stoked to get back into some DBZ. I might have already done my homework here, <laughs> but I'm uh, excited to do it again. Absolutely. And since you already did your homework, why don't you hit me with that outro? Let's do the outro. So we got some emails here, and our first one comes from Gonna Go America on their asses. <laughs> Wants to know if we have any fun firework memories from being a, a kid. Sure. Um, a little bit older, probably like, I was like, probably like 15, so not in the 90s. But we were out at a lake in South Dakota, so we got some fun, fun fireworks in South Dakota. You oh, know, yeah. you get the real ones in South the Dakota. The real ones. Kind of had this like floating dock thing that was kind of, it wasn't, it was on the shore, but it was floating and it was kind of supported by some like poles that went down to the bottom in the lake. It was only like five or six feet of water. It was just this little weird dock thing. So that's where we would do the fireworks on top of that. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the bigger canister ones that had a whole bunch of shots that would come out of it going oh, yeah. way up into the sky and stuff like that. I was in charge of lighting fireworks that year because as soon as I lit that thing, it fell over. Yikes. Yeah, yikes is right. It fell over, like, pointed right at me. And so I, like, dove, like, to the opposite side of it. And on, like, so on the, so the, the deck thing that it was on is probably about 10 feet by 10 feet. Sure. So this thing falls over. I dive, like, over it to get onto the other side of it. I don't know if I was trying to dive into the water. If I was trying to do that, why don't I just jump off to the side? Yeah. But whatever. The thing, like, gets, the dock thing gets, like, dislodged and starts, like, tipping. Uh -oh. So then the firework thing that's pointed the other direction starts rolling directly back at me. And just as the fuse goes out, it fell into the lake. And I was like, great. It's not going to shoot anymore. No, they still will fire underwater, apparently. Jeez. Yeah. So it starts going poof, underwater. <laughs> and I'm like just trying to swim away, just oh trying to God. swim away, swim away. It's like an action movie. Yeah. I didn't get hurt or anything, but it was stressful. That's and crazy. Nobody on the shore was even like trying to help. They're all just, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> look at that kid. <laughs> look at that kid. Great job. <laughs> the water right. ain't going to put that out there, sonny. <laughs> Basically. But hey, that's, that's hilarious. My, that's my best firework story. That's an awesome firework story. So hold on, though. You were born in 84. Yeah. So when you were 15, you was the 90s. Yeah, it would have been 1999, huh? Hey, yeah. that still cuts it. That's yep. still it. So I wrote a few things down. So my first memory of 4th of July, I don't remember anything about the fireworks. Mm -hmm. All I remember is I was with my dad and his friends and a whole bunch of people. So I think it was like Hanska or somewhere where you'd round up by a lake and go watch them. Hanska. And <laughs> I haven't heard Hanska in a while. <laughs> yeah, that, that's how old we are. Yeah. Hanska. And my dad convinced me that if I caught a firefly, my pee would glow if I ate the firefly. Oh, all right. So what did I do? I caught a firefly. I went to immediately go pee, and my pee did not glow. Mm, and I was pissed at my dad. I bet. So that was my first one. <laughs> uh, the second thing I wrote down was, same as you, South Dakota. Mm -hmm. um, my cousins are there, so one of my cooler ones that I went to see was like, at a stadium, like a soccer stadium sure. out outdoors, and it was 3D, so oh. it was super awesome yeah. because they had the good fireworks. Yeah. And then the last one, I was a full-grown adult at this point, but our first year in Mankato, we had a huge house that we rented, and we were able to get to the roof of the house. Cool. So we watched the fireworks the first year here on the rooftop of our house. Nice. That was pretty awesome. Nice. I do have to say Mankato does a pretty good job with the fireworks. They do. They and do it was job. up on a hill, 6th Street, for anyone that lives in Mankato that nice. listens. So I had a very good shot. Yeah, I bet you you did. 
next email here comes from Grillin' and Chillin'. Wants to know what is our go-to grilling food as a kid or now? Well, I'll go to grilling if I know I'm just going to be grilling and hanging out in the yard or something like that. It's burgers, 100% burgers. For sure. Um, otherwise, I enjoy a really good uh, steak on the grill or uh, shrimp on the grill is really good. Shrimp on a uh, bobby. Shrimp on a bobby. Um, I also enjoy kebabs on the grill. Oops. And uh, I'm kind of the grill master around my house, and I enjoy uh, my time in front of the grill. You, that's li- for sure. you like that title, I, I take it. I do. I do. <laughs> very, I enjoy. very well deserved. I enjoy grilling, that's for sure. Nice. Yeah, I'm a simpleton, you know. I put dogs and burgers. Yeah, dogs that's, and burgers. That's the go-to, especially as a kid. Uh, I never gave brats a chance as a kid. I love brats now, though. Mm-hmm. So uh, brats is a good one now. So hot dogs are one of my least favorite foods. Sure. I haven't had a hot dog in 20 years. As long as you can remember. As long as I can remember. I have recently started eating brats, though. Okay. Like within the last year. Sure. I can do them. Yeah. I still don't really like them. See, I like like that. Bacon cheddar brats mm, that you get mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. like Hy-Vee or mm-hmm. something. Otherwise, I do the Johnsonville better cheddars. Nice. They're smaller. Yeah. But hot dogs? No, I will agree. I'm not just a hot dog lover. <laughs> I need the skinned on hot dogs. Really? Yeah. I do not. You can't. I won't eat like the cheap skinless <laughs> Oscar Mayer fun dog ballpark. None of that. No, it's got to be ambassadors. You need the juicy snap. The juicy snap. <laughs> and my weenies. Uh, that's the thing that I hate about hot dogs really is, is the, the juicy s- snap? The snap so you'll you'll get one from like a hot dog stand then the no. cheaper ones no. oh no okay just, you just steer clear of the hot dogs. i just steer clear, steer clear of them hot dogs i don't know what it is about hot dogs but just something about them when i bite them i mean it's been a long time but they just it makes me feel like i'm gonna throw up i don't know what it is it just makes me <laughs> well, feel like i'm gonna throw up i mean up. to be fair i think if you look up what goes in hot dogs you'd probably throw up <laughs> to see what's inside hot dogs i would guess and lauren while she will eat hot dogs, hates corn dogs. I can't do corn dogs either. So that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but she loves brats, so we usually do brats for her. Uh, next email here comes from the movie guy. 55 wants to know if we've seen any good movies non-homework related lately. The Super Mario Brothers movie. Nice. Um, I've seen it a couple of times now, and it, there's not a whole lot to it, but it hits those right nostalgic beats. Oh, and it's super good. Yeah, I really like it a lot. That's it's fun a, to watch. That's a definite, once we're whipping out these extra yeah. credits, we're going to be doing that yeah. extra credit episode for Super Mario, because yeah. uh, I saw that too. It was super good. I brought my daughter to it in the theater, and then we spent the $34 to buy it. Which, yeah. On on streaming because we bought it on streaming already. Oh, okay. Yeah, thirty four bucks to buy it. Woo! Yeah, because she was so obsessed. She, she wanted to watch it, it again. Yeah, she okay. loves it, and I'm like, that's fine. I love it too. I'll yeah. spend the. I'm gonna feed it. Money. Feed yeah, it. Yeah, that's fine. Feed yeah. the desire. Worth it. Worth it. Worth it. Worth it. And I don't care what anybody says. I think Chris Pratt was a great Mario. Oh, super good. They kind of joke about it too throughout the movie. Right. No, he's super good. Yep. And yep. I'm so obsessed with it's always sunny that anytime Charlie Day is talking, period, I find it funny, even if the line isn't supposed to be funny. I think it's funny how much Charlie and Luigi like look alike. Look alike. Right? Yeah. Usually in those animated movies they try to make the character look slightly like the voice actor. Yeah. But it's Luigi and Mario. So yeah. they look like Luigi and Mario. But Charlie Day and Luigi Look alike. They look alike. And perfect casting. God, all such good cast. Keegan Michael Key yeah, as Toad was yes. amazing. Uh I feel like they've just opened up this whole Mario universe yes. potentially. Can you imagine a Luigi's Mansion movie yes. with Charlie? Just 
taking down ghosts. I would go watch that. I would go watch that, And too. I've heard multiple rumors about, like, Danny DeVito being Wario coming up and Jim Carrey being Waluigi. Great. Give it to me. Give, Give it, it to me. me. Uh, the movie I wrote down just saw it last week. I've had it for a while and heard good things. Gravity. Have you ever seen yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Super good. Yeah. Now, it... I love space movies, mm-hmm. but that movie had my heart racing the entire movie. It gets insane within the first like 10 right. minutes right it turns into a survival movie basically it does so i don't want to ruin the movie for you i like that movie a lot too but i hate ghost uh um ghost uh george clooney i'm not a fan of ghost george clooney oh, when okay. he comes back later and i absolutely despise when sandra bullock goes no harm no foul when you know, I yeah. despise that. But I so like the movie. Why, why do you hate Ghost George Clooney? Just, I just think it's stupid. That just doesn't make sense. Just, I just think it's stupid that he was all of a sudden Ghost guy there. Yeah, you know, inspiring her to survive. Right, she's either going to survive or die. It's, it's one a or the weird other. scene, right? Definitely. Yeah. But yeah, just uh, when the shrapnel hits and mm-hmm. she gets separated mm-hmm. with that arm and is flipping around. Yikes. And then I asked my buddy, why the hell is George Clooney the only one that has, like, the jetpack part? Like, is that so expensive that only one of them can have the little jetpack thing mixed with their suit? Because mm-hmm. the other two do not have it, and he has it, and then he runs out of juice mm-hmm. eventually. But why does only one of them have it? I don't know. That's a really good question. It's been a while since I've seen that movie, and I think I'm probably going to want to go back and watch it again. I saw it in theater, and then I saw it once, at least one more time after that. It's okay. just been a while. So I'm going to go back and watch that. Yeah, now. and he's like wasting it in the beginning. Yeah. I mean, they don't know what's going to happen, right, but right. still. Great movie, though. Really good movie. Um, so my last one now is my question for Drew. If you, And this is because I've been watching a lot of Daredevil lately. So... <laughs> If you had to lose one of your senses, what would it be? Well, I can tell you that I've pretty much lost my sense of smell since I had COVID. Okay. So I've lost that already. Like, sure. It's really day in and day out. Some days I can smell stuff. Other days I'm like, I can't smell anything. Yeah. And I had COVID like four months ago, five months ago. It's been a really long time. But if I had to choose one sense to lose, so you're talking the five major ones. Five right? majors. Five majors. Um, I would probably choose one that was pretty inconsequential to my life. Like if I lost a sense of taste, uh, everything else in my life would be fine. Yeah. So I think I'll say sense of taste just because you can move on with your life. Move on with your life. Food would be really unsatisfying, you know, really unsatisfying, constantly unsatisfying. Yeah. But I think I'll go sense of taste. But if I had to choose between like hearing and sight. Uh, yeah. I think I would choose hearing. And then worst case scenario would probably be to go blind. Definitely. I think like, that's that's the worst one. Worst Let's case scenario. Like, there's obviously certain shows and movies that you've seen enough that you can still see it in your head. Yeah. But I'd much rather just get used to subtitles or something. Agreed. But, but neither of those is an option because, yeah, I'm going easy route like you. Uh, I mean, smell would probably be the least shitty one. Probably. I, I guess. Yeah. But I thought as much as my favorite thing is to taste all the crappy junk food and delicious <laughs> things I eat, I'd probably pick that because I could prolong my life by like 15 years because I'd just start eating super healthy right. all the time. Because it wouldn't like, matter. Because it wouldn't matter. Right. Like, and I'm a super picky eater, so I, I would like extend my life by at least a decade. So I'm going with <laughs> taste. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, 
Thank you, everyone, so much for listening to another fun episode. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Overdue Homework Podcast. Help spread the word of this awesome podcast to your friends, your family, people you don't know, strangers on the street. And email us questions or topic ideas or tell us we suck anything, period. Please just email us, even if you've done it already before. And that email is at Overdue Homework Podcast at gmail.com and as always make sure you tune in to the next exciting episode of the overdue homework podcast